0: This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: We're getting our legs under us, you know, but having guys go back to back or multiple innings it's it's not something we'd prefer to do right now for a lot of reasons obviously we do understand and we're competing i mean you know look we had a chance to sweep the game yesterday and right in the game today so i mean we're still getting the competition taking place of and you know those guys that gutted up today gave us an opportunity for tomorrow and we're in a lot better shape tomorrow to, to be able to go at it
3: with jamie rivers and alex ferrario i'm brandon Kylie. so i'm going to give you a list of four names Tell me who these gentlemen are, because I wasn't sure last night. Seth Elledge, Ryan Meissinger, Jesus Cruz and Mabel chrismat I believe is how you say his name.
2: Okay, that last one was
4: made up. Um, Are they guys that have drank with Jamie Rivers that he doesn't remember? In play, but no. (sighs) These are apparently
3: Cardinals relievers. Now, prior to the last 48 hours, I was unaware of any of these gentlemen. Now, Seth Elledge has actually looked
4: okay. He's got some stuff. I thought he was a rock star at first. I was like, look at this guy. He doesn't know where it's going at all times.
3: (laughs) But the stuff looks good jesus cruz because i had never heard of this guy when he came into the game i was like all right wh- who's this jesus cruz guy he's making his mlb debut that's awesome we love the nog father he made his debut we latched on to the story mm-hmm. well we looked up the nog father's numbers in AAA. we're like wow this guy's actually been okay jesus cruz last year in AAA, had a 6.3 era <laughs> That's not good, Jamie Riffers. (laughs) That was one of the pitchers last night. So I say all that say this. The Cardinals are pitching to survive right now. Today is the last day of this slog of a schedule for the immediate future. They are about to open things up a little bit. We're going to get more one game in one day situations as opposed to playing. I think it was eight games in five days. Yeah, it was a lot. So we're starting to get towards the end of this line, but oh my goodness, last night was a rough one to watch, Jamie.
4: Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point, like at at some point in this crazy run that they have, even for the rest of the season, okay, if they're lucky enough to get to 60 games, which we hope, there's going to be games where, I hate to say this, but there's going to be games that are almost throwaways, to where you're just hoping you don't come across any injuries and that you get guys who maybe are not household names they're going to you know fill in that day in order to keep your your aces or your starters or your regulars healthy and rested I never thought about that until last night when I didn't recognize a lot of the names I'm like wait a minute here I feel like this is just a throwaway game. If we win it, yeah, it's gravy. That's fantastic. And we're not going out there to lose purposely. Nobody does that. And I know Mike Schilt certainly doesn't do that. But at the same time, if they get beat or it doesn't go well, oh, well, we have guys that are rested and we can come back in full force with a great lineup the following game. That's the first time it hit me was last night when I was looking at this game. Just evolve. The
3: Cardinals have used 24 pitchers in 11 games this season. They used 23 pitchers in all of 2019. One of those pitchers was Jen Jerko last year. Oh, that's right. This is where we're at. They are going to anybody and everybody that can get them through an inning. You're right, Jamie. Last night, the action spoke louder than the words. The words can be, hey, we're trying to win every game. And they are. They want to win all of these games. But at, at a certain point, it becomes survival. We have to get through nine innings today. Who are the pitchers that I have available that can get me through those nine innings? And last night, it was Seth Elledge and Ryan Meisinger and Jesus Cruz and Nabil
4: Krismat who were able to get those guys. You're so struggling with that. We need a, we need a phone in that, here. That Somebody that really help us be with that. can't the name.
2: I think it's Nabil Krismat. Nabil Christmas I have no idea And I believe Danny Mac said he was born on Christmas uh, That's right true? I don't believe that there's either There's no way I swear no, that's, that's, that's Danny a said that's a tinfoil I'm looking right it up I'm looking it up
4: No chance I'm looking this up
2: that right now That was a Stalter too Stalter there's, there's, just throws out things There's gotta be money on the line for this one, Ribs If he was born on Christmas He was born <laughs> on Christmas my <laughs> <Pay> it, <Ribs. laughs> it, Oh my god! Pay it, Ribs Pay it, Ribs yeah
4: Oh my God! All right, I owe you lunch or coffee Ooh, or uh, beers or. Uh, I'd prefer lunch
2: because I don't have lunch plans today. Couple so,
4: kitty cocktails downstairs. Yeah, I can. Oh, okay. A truly, maybe. A tr- how, about, how about during the show? We'll
2: what? get you three. Too trillies. bad. You already got yeah, yours. That's true. Two. <laughs> the thermos is already
3: full. My favorite fun fact from last night. This came from Danny Mac and Fox Sports Midwest. The Cardinals had a pitcher wear the number 84 for the first time in franchise history. And that wasn't the best number that was given. They also had the next pitcher <laughs> that entered the game wore the number 86 not for the first time in franchise history it was the first time a major league baseball player has worn the number 86 (laughs)
2: it's weird that's That's when you know that's when you know times are bad it's weird it's
3: kind of a popular number (laughs) in the
2: last three
3: days the cardinals (laughs) have had a pitcher give up back to back to back to back home runs in a debut for the first time in major league baseball history and then a few days later, they had a pitcher wear the number 86 for the first time in Major League Baseball
4: history. Maybe he likes 86. I what?
3: don't think that's what this
4: was. I always <laughs> I try to be positive around here, BK. All right. <laughs> we have one more thing that we
3: have to get to because last <laughs> night's game. Listen, that was that was a rough one. There's not a whole lot of takeaways from that one. There was one in particular. Four hours and nine minutes 26 strikeouts, 13 walks, 20 runners left on base. If ever there was an argument in favor of seven inning games, in favor of changing whatever roles need to be changed to allow for more balls in play. That was the game. If you have kids that are not into baseball, sit them down in front of a TV and they would have fallen asleep last night. That was a rough one. <laughs> Why do
2: you hate real baseball, PK? Okay, no, the, don't do that to That
3: was awful. T- that don't was do awful. that to <laughs> them. No, that was, was awful. That was awful. <laughs> All right,
4: listen, I took heat last year from people. Don't do that to them. I have been a fan of the seven-inning concept. I agree. And then now watching them. And in the crossover, we briefly discussed, you know, with Danny Mac, who has seen, I don't know, endless amounts of baseball games. But I feel like if you keep – if you could keep the pitchers on track and not have a guy up there, like the other night, Dallas Keuchel, like at times, like – I was waiting to fall asleep in between his pitches. He takes a long time to figure things out. And that's just one guy. The batters are just as guilty at times, too, for stepping out and rearranging all their accessories and practice swings and gloves (laughs) and all this stuff. They just need to. And I know there's rules in place and the umpires need to enforce it. I do think that if you could just keep those players in line, I don't think we need a shot clock or a pitch clock yet. Um, if you keep those players in line and you went to seven innings, man, I'm all in. Like, I don't know yeah. if I would miss a game because it's not that bad. But if they go to the nine and then you don't have a lot of action and you're not seeing a lot of actual offensive plays or even a ball that's hit into play, like, it gets rough.
2: I guess the only part of it that you can say, okay, well, it was a close game. If that would have been a blowout in nine innings, it would have been like, okay, what are we doing here? But look, when you dangle the fruit. Was that close? Well, it <laughs> three runs, I, right? I, I know in the end, the Cardinals had an opportunity to, three runs? to
3: get right back into it. <laughs> It never once felt close to me. Never once was I like, the Cardinals might win this baseball game. Felt Not close. even
2: felt close every time Dexter Fowler was at the play. How Goldie going, what, two for two, two for three?
3: All right. Our guy caught Chris on the text line. Six, five, seven, eight, zero. Oh, you're
4: going to address it? He's just. <laughs>
3: oh, we're touching this now. Okay. He's, he's just giving it to me, and it's totally fair. BK, <laughs> great read on Goldie, you genius. He continued, how did Goldie do last night? Hey, BK, are you turtling yet from uh, what happened yesterday? So Ball Goldschmidt went three for four, including a walk, <laughs> had an RBI, <laughs> a run, looked fantastic. Yep. Just tremendous. And yes, yesterday that I said everything that he's been doing so far is totally unsustainable.
4: I was say, what was his expected? Uh, uh, his expected hit, hit rate. rate. Now, I did bring up an interesting question. To be fair, he's only batting 360 now. Oh, that's it. OK. Hey, that's not 400. 400 yeah. So, Alex, I Still need you to, work to clarify do. something okay. for me here. Let's do it. Because with all this, these hidden analytics or underlying numbers—I think—is what you called them. Mm, they're called statistics. They—you uh, had an expected hit rate, right? And so, I said to BK yesterday, I go, well, guess what? I expect Goldie to hit the ball tonight. Does that mean his expected hit rate goes up? <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. It goes right? Because I'm expecting well, him to hit.
2: What if two people in the room expect him to hit? Because <laughs> I was expecting him to hit too. Up two
4: points. Is that two hundred percent? So, is this how we increase his percentage? Because if so, we're going to get on the text line and we're going to yeah. expect him to
2: hit yeah. tonight. Put it a out. Lot. Put it out in the atmosphere, and things will happen. Is that how it works, BK? That's how it works. Okay, those perfect. are the analytics. All right. Those are those are the numbers. So it's more of a poll.
3: Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I actually how those. it works is John Mosaylock right goes around to his scouting staff and he says, how many of you believe that Dylan yeah. Carlson will get a hit tonight? No. Yesterday, none of them said yes, True. and so his expected hit rate was zero. So it didn't matter how hard he was going to hit the ball. Yeah. Well, they none of them were going to
2: land in play. They expect him to not hit the ball when the bases are loaded four separate times, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rough. That was tough. That was rough. That was tough to
3: watch. Things went really well for him. But he hit the ball hard, so his expected hit rate was high. So he got
4: out fast.
2: Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Hard hits yeah but i expected golden yeah. hit so that obviously helped his percent that's how it works what, bk i you know what ribs join me in if you like this i expect carlson to hit the ball today you know what I expect that okay. too. So I think yeah. that's going to go up. Two hundred percent expected, yep. right here. Boys, right. make it three hundred. There we go.
4: Whoa! All right, Mike Ryder. Mike Ryder, do you expect him to hit the ball? Hey, today? Mike Ryder. Yeah, yeah he does. That's okay, that's, that's four.
5: Four hundred percent. Carlson
4: going to be an MVP today. Oh, With baby.
3: Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie Cardinals. Have a doubleheader today. They will be get, getting started coming up here in just a couple of hours. Danny Mack will join us coming up at 1130 to discuss Dylan Carlson. And, you know, we'll talk a little Paul Gulch, as well. Coming up next, the second line, the Ryan O'Reilly line, the right move at the right time. Would we have expected anything less from Craig at, Burby at this time?
0: Day two. What do we expect from Craig Berube? We'll talk about it next. We're back to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: Craig Ruby has just such a magical touch with these things. We saw it last
2: year in the playoffs, moving guys around, putting certain guys into position, and he's doing it again. And so I think there's a lot of people out there, myself included. You know, I made the case yesterday that maybe you do come back with Jordan Bennington just because he's your guy, and and and, and he did so well last year. When he lost a game in the playoffs, he bounced back. But Craig Ruby said, no, we need to win another game. Jake played well. We're putting him in there. I don't know what to do for game five, guys. I mean, I think you have to go with Jake Allen and it's working the team's playing well and and he deserves it Uh, you just put jordan bennington on the back burner and ride this thing out
3: so that was jr on the show yesterday talking about the potential move of going with jake allen but i thought what he said there at the beginning was the key when craig baruby makes a move it's typically the right one And Jamie, he got it right once again in this series when he decided to go with the second line of Ryan O'Reilly, Jaden Schwartz and David Perron. It completely changed the series. I saw this stat from ESPN earlier today in four games. Ryan O'Reilly has three goals, three primary assists, and the Blues have a 97 to 29 advantage in shot attempts when he is on the ice. That includes a 16 to three advantage in high danger chances. Basically, if you're looking at a good scoring chance and Ryan O'Reilly is on the ice, there's a 85 percent chance that you're watching the Blues in the offensive zone as opposed to the other team in the offensive zone.
4: All right. Let me hit you with some other stats that we have from this series. Okay, regarding Ryan O'Reilly and actually all forwards on either team. And Ryan O'Reilly ranks first in all of these categories. First category, ice time per game. He's playing 24-27 again. That's 24 minutes plus. Offensive zone faceoff wins. He leads with 36. Pass completions. He lead, leads with 148 complete passes. Cycling chances generated. He lead, or leads with 12 chances that have been produced. Points, six. Loose puck recoveries. 83. That's huge. 83. That is huge. Puck battle wins. 32. Blocked passes. 27. And finally, stick checks, which is basically poke checks, poking the puck away from the opposition. He's only had seven of those. But my point is here, guys, is that's one individual right now that's dominating the series. And the one thing that Ryan O'Reilly got asked about some of this and some of his success and his personal, well, I don't know his personal stats, right? He immediately says, okay, our mentality as a line Mm -hmm. is to absolutely be the best we can be out there. Our mentality as a line is that we support each other all over the ice as a line. We're really connected and we have to be making sure that we're playing the right way so that it becomes contagious. So that's what you have right there. And yesterday, when I talked about Ryan O'Reilly and how he's a selfless player, that's where we go with it. So cue in the line mates here. David Perron, we joke about all the time. I call them shake and bake. They just are really, really good together. And Craig Berube found that combination. And for the most part, he doesn't break them up. He has rotated the left wing in and out and Mm -hmm. all around with those guys. This time, the choice is Jaden Schwartz. Guess what, guys? It makes perfect sense. Jaden Schwartz, the way he was hounding pucks and creating turnovers, even though the Blues were not winning hockey games at that point, he was the number one guy that was pressuring turnovers from opposition. So if you're sitting back as a head coach, you go, okay, I have two of the best possession guys right now in the playoffs in Perron and O'Reilly, but I need to get them the puck hmm, who am I going with here to get them the puck? Oh, why don't I go with the fast left winger who's right now creating the most pressure on the opposition? Therefore, we can get the puck back. Therefore, we can go to work in the offensive zone. And all three of them have tremendous numbers on the defensive side of the puck, limiting chances. You just went over yep. some of those yesterday. We went over them again today. And Jaden Schwartz is one of those guys that his tracking numbers are fantastic. He's one of the first guys back every time on the back check. Put those guys together, and they're a nightmare to play against. And Craig Berube, to his credit, has always made these tweaks, and they've worked out. And again, to his credit now, and, and a huge plus for the St. Louis Blues, is that the players believe in his changes. So when Chief makes a change to whatever pairing, line, goalie, the players don't sit there and go, "Well, oh, what's he doing? They go, yep, here we go. We're going to win. We're going to win. Why? Because, I don't know, he just tweaks something, and it seems to work. Yeah.
2: It's the placebo effect. Like you, you, do something, and it may not look like anything, and it may not work. But in the mind of the team, when Baruby does something, that's going to have an effect on the team, and it does. Look, last year in this regular season, Craig Baruby would put players with O'Reilly to get them going. Like that's mm-hmm. what he would say. Well, we need to get them going. Sanford last year, got to get them going. Perron, got to get them going. Now it's not so much they got to get a certain player going. They need to get the offense going. Like, that's what they needed after the first two games in the round robin because the the line of Ryan O'Reilly, Sanford, and Perron weren't doing much. Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko or whoever was up there, they weren't doing much. They needed to get a jump start. That line jump-started it with the puck possession of O'Reilly, with Schwartz being, honestly, in my opinion, one of the best players in the playoffs so far. He has been all over the puck. He just doesn't have the goals to show it, and Perron being the sniper. You get those guys going, then what that does, it's a trickle-down effect. The best defensive units going up against O'Reilly, you're opening up the Shen line to to go out there and throw some bodies around, creates an opportunity, you cycle in your fourth line for some offense, it's a trickle-down effect. It's what that top line of Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko did last year
4: and one thing too to remember guys in the chess battle tonight travis green head coach for the vancouver canucks he's going to do everything he possibly can to keep vancouver's top line away from ryan o'reilly and that's going to create chances for st louis so what happens then by default is Ryan O'Reilly ends up with a lesser line to defend, which means they can now possess the puck offensively, which they're doing anyways. I was to say,
3: it's not going to change No, but much. they're doing it
4: anyways against the best players on the other team. So now if you downgrade that just a little because you can't get the matchup that you want if you're Craig Berube or you get stuck in the middle of a line change, Ryan O'Reilly's line has the potential of really doing damage offensively tonight, because they're so hard to play against. So Travis Green is really in a predicament of, does he sacrifice his top line and just leave it the way it is and pull the old coaches going to challenge the players to be better thing? Or does he spend the whole night trying to juggle guys in and out of that lineup to try and get people away from Ryan O'Reilly while sacrificing the potential Of sitting in your own end for an awful long time too
2: And you know what happens with that also You're more focused as a team Of getting the guys off of the ice As soon as you've seen O'Reilly out there And you're going to turn into odd man rushes You're going to turn into four checks You're going to turn into the blues capitalizing On mistakes (laughs) of a young Vancouver team And and
4: let me tell you what, that happens I've been that guy on the ice Okay, (laughs) That guy where they're like, get off (laughs) I've been that guy And the stress that comes over you When the other team has last change And they throw out all their studs Yep. you're looking over at the bench and they're kind of quietly giving you the ear pull like get the hell off the ice get off the ice and you're not the only one they want all five guys to change so now you're scrambling trying to get possession of the puck you're over committing quickly trying to get the puck What happens is you get eaten alive, and then if they chip it in and you're playing in your own zone for an extended period of time, you're done. You're going back to the bench and you're getting reamed out by the coach because you shouldn't have been on the ice against those guys.
3: 65780 is their comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, Barubi has that LaRusa feel with his decisions. You just trust him without any doubts of what he's doing. I agree. That's exactly what it feels like. Anytime that, even if it feels like it might be the wrong decision, like us on the outside, you look at it and you're like, really the way that you want to go here. We don't do that with burubi because we just trust that what he's doing is the right thing for the team. I would also say this, Jamie Ferrario. We've talked a lot about that line with Ryan O'Reilly, Schwartz, and Perron. And for good reason, obviously. With Tarasenko being out and us now knowing that whether it's it is truly a an awful shoulder injury, whatever it is, whatever this ultimately becomes, he's out for the time being. He's not going to be with the Blues until at the minimum, probably the second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That line just became even more important because Tarasenko's not at 100 percent, even if he does come back. We know that now. And last year they did have, as Ferrario brought up, the short shin Tarasenko line that carried them throughout the playoffs offensively. Now this line. Has to do that. They've got up the offensive production, and they have thus far over the last couple of games. That's got to continue moving forward. The pressure is on that line. I've no doubt that they're going to be able to live up to those expectations, but that is now on them. It is not on the top quote-unquote line anymore. It's on that second line. That's where the Blues offensive production has come from and needs to come from moving forward.
4: The best thing about what you just said is that now the pressure has been put on your hardest working line. Yeah, And I'm not taking away from other guys Because the Blues overall, let's be honest They are a
2: hard-working team Shannon Bozek have been that too Uh,
4: Sammy Blay, Robert Mm -hmm. These guys work extremely hard So let me make sure I put it properly here Based upon the numbers and based upon the eye test of what we see and knowing what Ryan O'Reilly does day in and day out, we'll call that the hardest working line for now. Mm -hmm. Okay, and if that's the case, your hardest working line can also be your top offensive punch. That is really hard for the opposition to play against because you don't ever get a break in the action.
3: With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Danny Mac's calling a doubleheader today. Jack Flaherty finally back out there on the mound. What should we expect from him? And what can we expect from Paul Goldschmidt moving forward?
0: Is what we're seeing real? We'll talk about it with Danny Mac coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Some news to pass along for the Cardinals before their doubleheader today. They have activated Austin Gomber from the injured list. They have optioned Ryan Mess... Meisinger to their training site down in Springfield. Jake Woodford going to be their 29th man for the doubleheader against the Cubs. Also, this news coming from Derek Gould, Johan Oviedo, the young Cardinals prospect, the pitcher coming up to join the Cardinals in the next few hours. We'll talk about all of this with our guy, Danny Mack. He's the Cardinals broadcaster and host of Scoops with Danny Mack weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Dan, we appreciate the time today, my friend. How you doing?
6: i'm doing great it just seems like we were with each other
3: we were in fact (laughs) it's crazy how this works so let's start with the news of johan oviedo coming up because dan he's an exciting young pitcher uh his stuff is incredible he is a massive human being do you think that this guy is going to be able to stick in the bigs and what does he bring to the cardinals roster
6: Well, as you mentioned, big body. I mean, he looks the part. And I think you remember BK and Ribs when I was talking to you guys at spring training. This is the one that I was so excited about at the very beginning of spring training. Do you remember that? I do, yes. Yeah, I, I said, this is the guy that I could see, you know, maybe at the end of the summer if it's a normal season and he has a good uh 2020 you know uh, minor league season that here's another one of those guys going back to like a trevor rosenthal and carlos martinez when you hear about him and you you kind of follow the minor leagues if you're a fan and all of a sudden boop he appears in a major league game and you're excited because you you hear about his stuff he was really impressive in spring and i'm excited now what does that mean when he makes his debut who knows you know, sometimes guys go out there and, and you don't know what to expect. But I'm just telling you, he looks the part. So I'm excited to see. Long-term future, my guess would be starter. Short-term future, anybody that's got an arm in the Cardinals organization, we needed to cover innings. That's what they need. They need guys to cover innings. So we'll see how they want to play this thing out. But, man, I'm excited. He's a young talent. And, again, like I said, looks the part. He's probably 6'5", 6'6", kind of cut up. Uh, in really good shape, throws hard, good stuff. So, again, I keep using the word excited, and that's what I am.
4: Danny, uh, Paul Goldschmidt uh, having some success at the plate here recently, although he's not tearing the cover off the ball. He's still getting some hits and creating a little bit of offense. What are you seeing from him lately?
6: Professional hitter. I mean, we you know, we, we use that term a lot. Um, last six games, he's, you know, got a 400 average, and, you know, the first – five games before the shutdown, he was six for 19. Now he's eight eight for his last 20 with a home run. He's finding a way. You know, Jim Edmonds has talked about it during the broadcast. If you look at the lower half, real quiet. And when Paul is is not at his best, he, he jumps a little bit. You can see he's off balance. I think he's opened up his stance a little bit. I also think he's off the plate a little bit more. Now, that may be a byproduct of that when guys didn't have a chance to face live pitching, and all of a sudden you're facing guys that, you you know, you, you haven't been able to, to really see anything, you know, and you had 17 days off. So you move off the plate, you open up, and not to say that you're cheating, but you're just making sure that you can get around on a fastball. Um, I think it's a smart move by him, at least to the naked eye. That's what I'm seeing. Haven't had a chance to talk to him, texted back and forth a little bit, but nothing about baseball. That's what I'm seeing. Just making an adjustment to try to get the barrel through the zone and finding a way to try to connect, not strike out. And that's what I'm seeing right now. Barrel to the ball. You know, the Cardinals right now are a team that uh, they 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 have the league's worst offense at the moment in terms of run per game, runs per game. They're 30th in Major League Baseball, so they've they've got to try to find a way to get offense. And he's kind of the main guy that you look towards. As they, um, you know, just try to get their feet under him after that long layoff.
3: Dan McLaughlin joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals lineup for the first game of the doubleheader is out. That's a first pitch, which you'll see on Fox Sports Midwest with Danny Mack. Colton Wong batting leadoff, Tommy Edmonds second. Paul Goldschmidt is your DH today batting third. Matt Carpenter is going to play a little first base. My guy Brad Miller is batting fifth and playing third. Tyler O'Neill back in the lineup after getting a late scratch yesterday, batting sixth and left field Dexter Fowler seventh and right Dylan Carlson is batting eighth and playing in center field and Matt Wieters is your catcher batting ninth I wanted to ask you about Carlson Danny Mack because it's been a slow start for him in terms of the overall production you mentioned this last night on the broadcast lots of hard outs for him what have you seen thus far from Dylan Carlson
6: he's left 12 men on base he's come up to the plate already four times with the bases loaded And in those plate appearances, over-anxious. The other times, quiet at the plate. Uh, I like his at-bats, to be honest with you. I didn't like what I saw last night. I thought he was over-anxious. But loud outs, especially in the series against the White Sox. I thought in the doubleheader against the Cubs. A couple of hard-hit outs. uh, Got robbed by the shift. If you want to call it robbed, I guess we shouldn't anymore. That's just the way the game is played. He's going to be fine. Um, You know, his track record is that he hits the ball, hits the ball hard, and if you notice what he does and the kind of the knock on him was that exit velocity, especially when he was a prospect at times, you know, when he was drafted exit velocity, wasn't a big thing for him, which obviously is a big thing that you look at when you draft players. But one thing that he does, and now it's developed that he does have good exit velocity, but he keeps the barrel of the bat through the zone a long time. And that's something that you cannot teach. It, it gets developed at times. But he does that beautifully. He doesn't get overly fooled, and it's just you know he's a young guy. He's I'm sure he's got a lot of nerves. The the fact that they can move him to left, to center, to right is is great. It gives the, the the management team, Mike Schilt, uh, flexibility in terms of being able to get guys in and out of the roster uh, of the lineup with their roster. So I think he's going to be fine. Um, it, you know, obviously the numbers aren't there offensively. But uh, love the way he takes in at bat. And if a couple of those balls drop, one would have been a home run on a normal day at, at the White Sox ballpark. So, not overly concerned with um, the fact that he's off to a little bit of a slow start. And you look at a doubleheader today, let's say he gets four hits, and all of a sudden he's hitting 250 to 275, and we're not talking about it. So, I thought his at bats it, with the bases loaded have been a little over anxious, which is to be understood. He's 21, but. For the most part, he's been fine.
4: All right, Danny, uh, Dylan Carlson, certainly a young talent. I want to talk about another young talent here, Jack Flaherty. This guy, um, he's been resting, <laughs> I guess you'd call it. He's been forced to not be able to get back on the pitching mound for a while. What do we expect from Jack Flaherty today? I mean, obviously, this guy's a stud. He's your number one guy, but he also hasn't been able to get on the mound at all.
6: Yeah, it, that that to me is the big question, Ribs going into this doubleheader, and we just don't know, because um, we're not privy to be able to, to talk to Mike or Mike Maddox or really even to Jack, how deep he can go into this game. And, you know, you, you got to be ultra careful with a talent like this. Now, I, I, would, I would stress to him that strikeouts, <clears throat> uh, while you love them, they're, they, they can be a little overrated going into this game. So I, I would think they'd be super conservative with one of their most prized possessions. So he really paced himself, if you look in the opener, Uh, against the Pirates, which opening day was almost a month ago. And he tried to get quick out. So I I went back and looked at what he did. 18 of the 27 batters that he faced ended their plate appearance in three pitches or less. 21 of the 27 ended in four pitches or less. And four of the 27 he faced saw a three-ball count. So if he's going to go deep into the game today, that's got to be the idea. He's got to pound the strike zone with rights he can't be picking he's got to be ultra aggressive if he wants to go deep into the game and i'm sure that's what they're stressing to all their pitchers with trying to get through 14 innings and with a bullpen that's been taxed and with guys that haven't thrown a lot and you don't really know what they were able to do as they were locked down in their hotel rooms and how much were they able to throw once they got out of there um and that's the the thing in baseball it's not like just being able to go out there and go you got to build up pitchers so, Flaherty, they're going to be ultra-conservative, but I'm sure the idea with him is, hey, man, just pound the strike zone as much as you can. Stay in there as long as you can. But we're, we, they, I'm sure they have a pitch count in mind. What that may be, we don't know. Like, Cam was around 60 pitches. He got to 57, and they got him right out of there. I'm not even sure they're going to go that deep with Jack. So, I would assume it's got to be around 40 to 50. That would be my guess. It, would, it wouldn't it would surprise me if they went a little longer. It might a little bit, too. But it's also a little bit of the eye test as you watch him here today.
3: Last question that I've got for you, Dan. Tommy Edmonds batting second again today. So far this year, just hasn't been the same production out of him. A 170 batting average on the year, getting on base 24% of the time. And the underlying numbers are not suggesting that this is an unlucky start for him. He just hasn't been hitting the ball very hard. What have you seen from Tommy Edmonds that is different than what we saw from him a year ago? And do you think at some point we could see him maybe drop in the batting order if these struggles continue?
6: What I'm seeing is that he's not hitting anything that's not a fastball. Um, I mean, literally, he does not have a hit against anything that isn't a fastball. His average against a curve, a slider, and a changeup is zero. So when you're watching these at-bats today, and if you are paying attention to these games, you're seeing slider after slider after slider, changeup, elevated fastball. And so when he's getting a base hit, it's a, it's off the fastball. And so in 2019... Um, you know, he was seeing probably about 60 to 65% fastballs against him and he would do some damage there. Now he could do a little damage against the off speed, but now in 2020, the league has made the adjustment. He's seen about 50% fastballs, but a lot of them are out of the zone and everything else is off speed. So he's going to have to make that adjustment BK. And that's what I'm seeing. He's going to have to make the adjustment against off speed. So when you're watching today, see how many breaking pitches he gets. And if he does get a fastball, many times it's outside the zone. And if he gets one inside the zone, he can't take it. He's got to make some damage with it.
3: He's Danny Mac. You'll see him coming up here in just about an hour and a half as the Cardinals take on the Cubs for a doubleheader up in Chicago. You can watch the game on Fox Sports Midwest. You can hear Danny Mac every weekday from 10 to 11 o'clock with scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Dan, we always appreciate the time, man. We're looking forward to the game today. Enjoy it, and we'll talk with you soon.
6: Always great to visit, guys. Looking forward to it, too, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. You
3: got it. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. I want to talk about that Tommy Edmund thing here in a little while, Jamie, because what's happening with him is really interesting. He, Dan's absolutely correct. He has yet to hit a breaking ball so far this year. He has zero hits on breaking balls, and he's seen 52 of them. On off-speed pitches, he's batting 111. He's just not hitting anything other than fastball so far this year. We've seen Major League Baseball make the adjustment to Tommy Edmund. Now Edmund has to make the adjustment to baseball. So we'll talk about that coming up here in just a little while. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Get your questions in. We'll try to have some answers coming up on 101 ESPN. We're
0: back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 618. Hey guys, what do you think about going with Wong, Goldschmidt, and Tyler O'Neill at the top of the lineup?
4: Whoa, wait a minute now. Let me digest this. Wong, Wong Goldie, Goldschmidt, and Tyler, Tyler O'Neill. O'Neill. Well, isn't Goldie already at the top? He's number three right now. Where's so Wong?
3: They- Wong leadoff. lead off.
4: Yeah. So, so it's, the we, only addition
3: we're doing here is Tyler O'Neal. You're switching admin for O'Neal.
4: I'd do it. Right now, I would have Millsy there, and I would have O'Neal at cleanup.
3: Well, I'm surprised Matt Carpenter is batting cleanup today. I'm not totally sure I understand that one. I he, don't either. He's been okay with... Base is loaded lately, but otherwise, I I just don't I don't totally understand that move. So, Tyler
4: O'Neill's been better this year. I mean, look into the texter's question. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love I'd love to see him slotted in at cleanup, but if not, yeah, let's get him in the top three. Let's
2: try and get him some more at-bats. A lot of teams go with their two-hole hitter as their best hitter, Mm -hmm. and Paul Goldschmidt's on-base percentage is what's important right now, and if Tyler O'Neill can keep doing what he's doing in terms of contact, whether it be home run or doubles, you're moving runners over, and that's what you want for the top.
4: Well, too, you you also get to see better pitches, right? So if the guy ahead of you gets on-base, you're not going to get as much crap around the plate. The pitcher's going to have to respect the fact that he's got to put one in there, and if Tyler O'Neill. can capitalize on that or vice versa Goldschmidt can capitalize on that it, it could make a difference offensively
3: That's one of the reasons why I think they should look at moving down Tommy Edmond because with him struggling The way that he has so far this year I, I think you need a little more protection Both in front of and behind Goldschmidt I can say whatever I want to about the underlying numbers for Goldschmidt. His actual numbers have been really good so far this year. They're Goldschmidt-like. They're better than Goldschmidt in his prime. But
2: I expected that, so it's okay. I expected it, too. Okay. Well, regardless of what we
3: think about any of that, he's been great on the field with his actual production, and it would be nice for him to get even better pitches for him to see. And then maybe you see the hard hit balls as well. Now you're starting to get more power production out of Paul Goldschmidt. And that's when he's really at his best. So I would like to see Tyler O'Neal batting fourth. I would like to see. Listen, I don't believe the numbers, but if Dexter Fowler is getting these numbers right now,
4: put him batting second. Let's see what that looks like for well, the time. Being. I don't know if we get that carried away at this point.
2: Yeah, that's mean, not an ex- we didn't expect that. So you yeah, can't put him up there yet. Let us expect expected. it
4: numbers for that are not good, yeah. so therefore I wouldn't do yeah, that. We um, need to expect it. <laughs> I hate you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> on Colton Wong, uh, I was really happy to see what he did
3: last night because he's been really scuffling to start <laughs> he, this he needed season. something. And we know that guy is a little bit of a streaky hitter. When they come, they start to come in bunches, so I, it was good to see that yesterday. Hopefully he can continue on that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 501. Jamie, Ferrario, what one guy, in your opinion, needs to step up now that we know we're going to be without Vladimir Tarasenko?
4: Wow. That's you tough. you had to pick one. If I had to pick
2: one guy here. While well, you think, can I go, rivs? Because I've, I've been saying this this whole time for him. I have at it, buddy. Braden Shen. Look, oh. I, I, I No. Now, oh. no now, now, now listen to me God, here. where's the button? Wow, No. wow. No, now listen to me here. guess I should there, do that since I control you. the board. Tinfoil. Uh... He's, he's been an outstanding player for this team on the 4-check, creating offense, hitting guys, but he's not scoring. And I, Braden Shen's role may not be to find the back of the net. He may not be a 30-goal scorer for you, but without Tarasenko, you need that top line to produce a little bit more. And with Bozak up there, and whether it's Kyrou or Sunquist, whoever they play up there... I want Shen to find the back of the net a little bit more Give me those dirty goals for Braden Shen Where he's in front of the net and he's getting those tips Again, I think he's been a great player But I want to see him find the back of the net A couple more times
4: All right, I'm going to go with Robert Thomas on this one And I've been happy with what he's done so far But to me, he still can add more Now, the fact that he plays On the third line and whatnot That's certainly Prohibiting a little bit So guess what, boys? Uh, Hot take here from me is that you could see Ivan Barbashev slot into center on that third line and Robert Thomas move up to right wing with Bozak and Braden Shen. Or could you would you put him on center with Shen and Bozak and put Bozak on the wing? As of right now, Tyler Bozak would have more responsibility up there because they're gonna get some tough matchups. And you can let Thomas just and you play. just wanna let that kid just empty the tanks and fly, and Braden Shen will get those dirty, gritty goals by going to the
2: net because he's got an elite passer on the right wing. Let line. me tell you something. If you could do a third a hot take if you way. could do a third line of Barbashev. Sunquist and Blay or Sanford Sunquist and Barbashev I'd like Sanford on that line but Blay on the fourth is a Canucks nightmare like 49 is already haunting their dreams right now because he's coming back and they know exactly what they're going to get but put him on a line with a Sanford Blay or Sundquist <laughs> Va- Vancouver's not even going to want to touch the puck when those guys are out there. I'm
4: telling you, the, the depth that's coming back to the Blues, although we have la- lost Vladdy Tarasenko, which is in no way, shape, or form making the team better, uh, but you can start to manufacture some things, and by moving Robert Thomas up and sliding Barbie in into a checking role really, really helps your team.
3: Can I give you another one that maybe is a little bit of a hot take? No. Sure.
4: Oh, David yeah. Perron.
3: What? Not that he needs to step up what? his game. Oh, he, he needs—he's got four goals, right?
2: Yeah, he needs to continue. He's got four this. goals in four games. He, we didn't—we expected eight from him, rivs Yeah, expected. I guess yeah. his expected goal rate yeah. is His expected for rate's not up there, right? By no. the way,
3: six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service Text Line from the six three six. Maybe if you guys start expecting BK to have good takes, they will be better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we've been doing that for a while. So we've been trying. That one doesn't <laughs> no, work. No, you guys have
3: had hope. It's got to be expect-, expect. Yeah, that's right. true. Okay. So the reason why I say David Perron is not because I've been disappointed by his play that'd be ridiculous for me to suggest as much he has eight points in his first seven playoff games that's, that's incredible not bad. he has Vladimir Tarasenko like production thus far they need that to sustain over the course of this postseason for them to be able to continue on the run like we've seen the last two games. So it's not that I want more out of Prawn. I want to continue seeing this Prawn. We know he's a bit of a streaky player. I need the streak to last a little bit longer than sometimes it does otherwise. I
4: like your take. I like your take. However, it has nothing to do with the actual question you we were asked, <laughs> but I like your take. If you pretend like it does, though, <laughs> people will forget what the question was that was asked and you can just move on. Yikes. But either way, way you're right david perron's playing great we're gonna leave it at that okay good job bk
2: way to go bk yeah baby that expectancy is up there whoa whoa, whoa. is that a word whoa expect it is it's expectancy? totally aware
4: yeah. okay pregnancy
3: <laughs> jamie rivers has a hot take on bubbles we'll get
0: to that for you coming up next we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn i want to give a shout out number one not just the nba players the national hockey league with the bubble they got in edmonton and toronto uh, man they make me so proud in the nba because i'm not gonna lie i thought this thing had no chance of working we still got a long way to go we can't get overconfident but i'm not gonna lie i cannot believe we've been almost a month with zero positive tests
3: Welcome back with Jamie Rivers and Alex <laughs> Ferrario. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on I'm 101 sorry, ESPN. It's 1205. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Jamie Rivers, that was Charles Barkley on ESPN yesterday talking about the bubble. And Jamie walked in today, Ferrario. He says, BK... I've got a hot take on bubbles, and I gotta get it off today.
4: Yep. So, Jamie, what is your hot take on these bubbles? Well, first of all, we clarify that it's the actual bubble. I was say, it's that, not the dancer bubbles. It's not. Okay. No, no. That that's a long that's gone. Up in Canada. That hot there take was is a long time a, ago. Corona
3: situation. You understand? Yeah, I'm on a dollar
4: bills. Anyways, um, <laughs> no. My take is this: as I'm watching last night, the Vegas Golden Knights play the Chicago Blackhawks, the series comes to an end. And for the very first time that I've seen, and it was recognized by multiple people watching the game, they shook hands. No fist bump, no, like, air high five. They shook hands. And at that moment, it told me something. It told me that, hey, these players are absolutely taking this very, very seriously, and here's why. Would you shake hands with a guy across from you? that you didn't trust was all in not at all. Right. So what I'm seeing out of the NHL is one, it's a badge of honor right now for that league and the NBA as well too, but I wasn't watching their game. So, you know, I know that's a shocker, but anyways, I was watching NHL. It's a badge of honor for these guys and hockey players in general. They pride themselves on doing things that normal people wouldn't want to do. Throw yourself in front of a hundred mile an hour. Slap shot. Normal people don't want to do that. Stand in there and get in a punch in the face contest with somebody. Normal people don't want to do that. So this bubble concept of being away from their family, their friends, and everything that they've got in their personal lives—nobody really wants to do that. So they've taken it. They're trying to get a badge of honor here by doing it and doing it right. And then that shifted halfway through to where I'm like, you know what? They're looking over at the other side now. Not even their own teammates. And they're going, I know you've got me. I know based on the test results that are going on right now and what I see in the bubble and how your team is handling themselves, I trust you. We're going to shake hands and I'm going to hug you after the game. Why? Because I have absolutely no worry in my mind that you guys are doing things the wrong way.
3: And it's more trust even from the Chicago side than the Vegas side because Chicago is about to go home. These guys are going back to their families. And mm-hmm. so, if there was any question as to whether or not there were potential positives within the Vegas Golden Knights, I could then be a carrier, go back home to their little ones back there, or some of them seeing their parents for the, the first time in BK, a month or whatever. Going knowing
4: they they're, to the other group. Chicago knowing they're getting eliminated pretty much, eh, maybe we'll go out night before the game, whatever, it doesn't matter. We're down 3 1, we're not supposed to win, right? But the Golden Knights trusted that the Chicago Blackhawks players weren't doing that. And so it really just it set off a, a, an alarm in my head going, wow, now I get it. I get it. And now to flip it, the NBA guy's doing the same thing. And how many people, okay, and, and I'll credit the NBA for this, how many people said this will never work for the NBA? They were like, hockey players are a bit of a different breed, and it's just kind of a different world.
2: Stephen A. Smith
4: said it. Stephen, I said it. Stephen A. Smith said and it. And it's
3: less locked down than the NHL one. The the NBA the one is, it is a bubble. It is still, it's had a massive success rate in, in Orlando, and they've had zero positive tests since they've been down there and have bubbled everything off, but it's less... Isolated Mm -hmm. than what you have in Edmonton Or the one that's in Toronto Where they literally have fences up And they are basically going from (laughs) their hotels To the stadium and back to the hotels It's a little bit of a different scenario Down in Orlando than it is in Canada for the NHL
4: And it's not just the players, right? So both sports NBA, NHL, let's just group them all together here There's so many people That are involved That are inside these bubbles And they're being trusted too the NHL guys are trusting the coaches, the trainers, the people who are working in the rinks, the penalty box guy who has to open the door for you, <laughs> sitting a foot and a half away from They're trusting that all these people are doing it the right way. And so far, nobody has given anybody a reason to break that trust. And the NBA right now, still zero tests, zero positive tests as well. I hope that continues to trend that way. I do worry. Let's t-
3: say there's a there's a big test coming up for I do both worry of these sports
4: about letting family and friends get into the bubble. I do worry about it, and I do worry on the NHL side of things where they're talking about teams taking field trips coming up. Now, I do think that the NBA should probably go to testing, quarantine, all that before they see each other, which hopefully at that point would you know deem it to be not a problem. In the NHL, from what I gather, what I'm told. They're going to be doing team bus. You're on the team bus. You're going for the the field trip. If we go to play golf, you're all playing golf. And then we all get back on the bus and we get back into the bubble. And if that's the case, if they do it that way... I think the success can continue.
3: I think that's what's impressed me the most about the NBA side of things is they've been doing all of that stuff. Like you've got guys that on any given day are going fishing. They're going to play golf. They're doing
4: whatever. And they're they're not in as much of a. yeah. But that's inside their bubble, though. Of course. You know, it, so it's not like they're leaving to do that stuff. But the people that are on these Disney
3: grounds are not tested every day. That's, that's good the point. other thing. Right. Like this was our concern moving forward or moving into the bubble for the NBA was, oh, wait. The employees are not under the same criteria. They're not under the same protocols as the players or the NBA personnel. Well, that's going to be a problem. How this is going to be a disaster? And it hasn't been. It's been a massive success thus far. So for both of these sports, what they've been able to put on thus far has been incredible. And it's the reason why we are, mo- be, we are able to watch the products that we've seen, both in the NBA and the NHL. And it's why moving forward into next season, whenever these leagues start back up again, you can have some confidence that if the world is not in a place where we can have the St. Louis Blues playing down at Enterprise or whatever it may be, you can go back to a format like this as necessary because the players know that it can and will work. I didn't want to talk about one other thing, because as much success as we've seen from the NHL and the NBA,
4: <laughs> I was just about to ask you this too. go ahead, probably.
3: Hasn't been exactly the same amount of success on the colleges as campus has returned. Um, Here's the Today Show with the latest. Another day, another college cancellation.
2: Notre Dame announcing it'll suspend classes for two weeks after 147 people out of 927 tested positive. The university president says most cases are connected to off-campus parties. It comes as UNC Chapel Hill switched to online learning this week, just days after starting in-person classes. Campus newspaper editor Brandon Stanley says the university should have seen this coming.
3: The editorial board took the stance that the roadmap was incomplete, a complete failure, and uh, just a total fallout on UNC's part. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that audio courtesy of the Today Show. So as students Notre are returning Dame? back to campus, Rudy, two teams in the SEC, Rudy? Notre Dame, or excuse me, the ACC, <laughs> Rudy, Notre Dame and North Carolina. Notre Dame has now suspended classes for two weeks. North Carolina has gone exclusively online with all of their <sighs> courses. Now, Mizzou is returning to class this week, or their students have returned to campus this week. I believe class starts next week. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can possibly expect this to work when we are already seeing we saw the pictures out in Tuscaloosa where Alabama's kids are going wild out at the parties right now. We are expecting probably to see something similar at most of the campuses across the country over the next week or two. If you have multiple schools already in one conference that is trying to play football this fall, North Carolina and Notre Dame. Essentially suggesting or moving Toward going exclusively online I don't know how those teams can play football This is this is already Going down a path that I was hoping that it Wouldn't Jamie
4: yeah look honestly I thought the NFL was Going to be a challenge as far as Getting all these guys and College football is Going to be an Astronomical challenge because There's way more components involved In this and if you just take let's isolate Mizzou for a second and they've been, you know, knock on wood here, they, everything has been okay so far, but the students are trickling back to campus, and it's not just them. I know it's across the, the nation right now, but if we isolate Mizzou, how many kids are on campus, BK, roughly? Give me an estimate of how many kids it's are about there. About 30,000. Okay, 30,000. Can you imagine being in a small area... 30,000 people who are, let's be honest, they're college kids. They're actually, they're supposed to make bad decisions. Hopefully they don't, but they're supposed to. You expect it. So the challenge then becomes 150 staff members, including players for the college football program, and now 30,000 kids on campus who are let's be honest they're tired of being locked down and quarantined they're happy to see their friends they're happy to get back to what feels like normal life and let's be honest college campus feels like a bubble it almost does it feels yep. like you're living in your own world so therefore you kind of feel safe in your own world and this is where i think it's going to get a little bit hairy and this is why i'm i hate to say it and, and coach drink i love you but i have a hard time believing that college football can pull it off this year
3: i have a hard time as well this also coming from Mazoo earlier today following multiple confirmed or suspected COVID 19 cases and at least two fraternities on campus the ifc has suspended all gatherings on chapter property and moved recruitment to a fully virtual format that at Mazoo over the last 24 hours or so there's already been multiple fraternities that are basically getting shut down because, of course, if you've got community living and you've got all of mm-hmm. these people coming from different places across America and now you put them all into one place where they're going to be having these community bathrooms and they're living together and with roommates, of course, they're going to have these situations. we also got a text uh, on the text line at six, five, seven, eight, zero. This comes from the three, one, four. I can't believe 18 to 22 year olds won't stay inside and decide not to go out <laughs> to drink and meet others. I'm
4: absolutely stunned. or <laughs> <by laughs> text. Either way, you're proving our point. You're right. I can, I mean, look at I'm not I guess what I'm saying and what I did say is they're supposed to make bad decisions. I know, listen, from 18 to 22, let me tell you, I made some bad decisions in my life and This would have been a difficult... I was one of those idiots at Mizzou. (laughs) This would have been a tough time for 19-year-old, 20-year-old Jamie Rivers going back to campus. That would have been a tough time to stay in and stay quarantined. So I get it, but I guess ultimately the point is, is that how are you going to do this and have football and other stuff?
3: Not great for college football, but a better result so far for the NHL and a better result in the last two games for the St. Louis Blues. What should we expect from them tonight as they take on the Canucks? And how important is that role that we've seen from the second line now that we are going to be without Vladimir Tarasenko moving forward? Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us coming up next to talk about all of that on 101
0: ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: In the run last year with with Sunquist and Barbie Shevins team playing together, so I would expect that Craig would like to have that happen as quick as possible. But I think it's going to be depend on on how Barbie is feeling, how Barbie looked to, uh, with his just you know first skating that that he's done since uh, you know since being at home and having the baby.
3: That was Birdie for Durko earlier today talking with Carrick and Smallman right here on 101 ESPN. If you missed the conversation, 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. So with barbie coming back into the lineup jamie they now have another option for themselves on that fourth line they can go back closer to what they had previously on that fourth line and i'm looking at the numbers from the most recent game game four between the blues and the canucks and that fourth line played about five or six minutes it was back to what we had seen previously from the blues i do wonder with Barbashev coming back into the lineup and them having him on that fourth line do you think this means that the blues will be able to roll those four lines more similar to what we are we are used to seeing from the blues as opposed to what they have been doing the last couple of games which is just really three lines
4: well i certainly expect them to play more than six minutes okay i um when you look at it and look we still to be determined on the status of alexander steen as well so if by chance. You get Alexander Steen back, and if Barbie is ready to come back into the lineup and they choose to put him in, you automatically then have your fourth line again. If you desire to do that, you have Sunquist, Steen, and Barbashev ready and locked in. You're going from 6 to 12, 13 minutes in the game right away for your fourth line. And right now, guys, you look at the Vancouver Canucks. They looked kind of tired, kind of beat down, frustrated, wore down. Could you ever think of a better time to have Ivan Barbashev back in the lineup who's going to be fresh? He's going to have that dad strength, right? Everybody talks about when you once you have a baby, you come back, you got these dad powers because, like, life is so meaningful now. So Ivan Barbashev is going to come back, and he's going to be jacked up to get into his first action. If Alexander Steen comes back, great. But even if not, you got a really good bottom six now. Really solid, and you're allowed to play them more because you have more trust in them. So, yeah, I think Ivan Barbashev is a huge piece of this puzzle for the St. Louis Blues, and it's going to help. And it couldn't be honestly, it couldn't be at a better time than when you have a team like the Canucks kind of on the ropes, and you're looking to try and you know lean on them some more and finish them off. Fresh legs, brand-new attitude, a player you trust, perfect, perfect, perfect ingredient.
2: I'm curious of what they do with it, because if you do have Steen, Barbashev, and Sundquist, they can become a fourth line for you again, because you still, of course, have Thomas, and who knows with Blay, you got Sanford, but... When you look at the way that Barbashev plays, I think you can create an element that can move up on the line for you. Of I mean, course. This was a guy that played, what was it? it? was the year that they took down the Blackhawks. This was a guy who played with Paul Stastny and Alexander Steen on your top line. Well, heck, he even had spot duty with Vladdy Tarasenko
4: that year. Remember yes. that whole
2: thing? So this is a guy who can be a number one center if you need him to be that. This is a guy who can play a wing. He can score goals. He can pen. That's the key that I'm so excited about with Barbashev. This guy is a penalty killer. He is your best penalty killer with Alexander Steen. If you get Barbashev back and you just killed off seven penalties in the last game, this is going to make things better. And I'll, I'll throw this out there now. He's going to be my player to bank on tonight because that Barbashev new dad thing, it's a real deal. Joey told the story on This Week in Hockey. He scored a goal in the AHL for the playoffs the day he returned from his daughter's first birth he drove up there the day before the game was with his wife baby was born drove back that same day or the next day I should say for the game that night scored two goals and they won the I series imagine you just got so much adrenaline at that point right well, look and, at Trout and just,
3: <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy what he's doing so let's let's take a, a deeper look at this what does this mean for the lines then as Barbashev comes back that means you're going to have a little bit of a shuffling along these lines You keep, I would imagine, the Schwartz-O'Reilly-Perron line as is. You don't make any changes there. But it does potentially have some changes that you could have on the other lines. Shin and Bozek, you would imagine, will be together. Who do you guys want to see as the third
4: player on that line? Who do you think should be the winger with them? I've said Robert Thomas. I mean, you know, what an opportune time to generate some more offense by sticking that guy up on the right wing with two real responsible players that work extremely hard. Uh, And if they don't do that, I'd leave Cairo right there. I leave Cairo because he's skating, he's moving, he's working hard, he's competing. He does have natural offensive abilities. And if it clicks for him, you're getting offense again from a, a new source, which would be great. So, uh, Robert Thomas
2: or Jordan Cairo on that wing for me. I wrote this down just as you asked that question, BK. So if if Steen is available, then I'm putting Cairo up on that line, and I'm going Shen, Bozak, Cairo, and I'm keeping Thomas, Sanford, and Blay because they have created offense, and that's depending on what Blay's looking like, and then your fourth line's your fourth line. If Steen's not available, then I'm putting 49 um, up there with uh, with Kyra with um with Kyra. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm putting Thomas. Take two. I'm putting Thomas if Steen's not available on that line with Shannon Bozek, like you okay. said. I'm putting Barbashev on the third line with Sanford and Blay, and I'm going Sunquist, De La Rose, and McKechnie on that fourth line. Yeah. See,
4: that's where I would differ. Uh, if Steen is back on that one, I would, I would absolutely move Sunquist up to center. Robert Thomas to right wing on the Bozak and Shen line. And then I would have Barbie, De La Rose, and Steen. De La Rose is pretty reliable. He reminds me of... So that would
3: be no Kairou in your line. No Kairou then at that oh, point.
4: Well, really? Okay. Yeah. I just think that, you know what, you really lean on him then by having multiple lines that can play a lot of minutes. And where De La Rose fits in for me is he's actually very, very similar to Oscar Sundquist. He is. He's not quite as good, right? Think of Oscar Sundquist just before he kind of discovered things, mm-hmm. right? He's a big body. He's a pretty good center. He kills penalties. He would work extremely well with Barbie Shev and if that's available to you. I
2: wonder, though, how they would do because
4: Barbie's a normal center. And I no, but he plays the wing all the time with the Sunquist and Steen guys. Well, I thought he was center with Sunquist. No, and Steen. No, no, Sonny always at center, Barbie on mm. the left, Steener on the right, and then face-offs in the defensive zone where it would be Barbashev's backhand. He takes those drops. I
2: will say this. I, I would put De La Rose in the—or keep De La Rose in the lineup before I would keep Kairou in the lineup, just because De La Rose to me is a weapon on the face-off, like you just mentioned. I think game four he went— It was either 45 or 55% again from the face-offs. He's a really good penalty killer. And look, you're not using Cairo on the power play. You're not using him on the penalty kill. He's five on five. De La Rose, you can use in other areas so you can keep your other guys rested.
4: One thing, too, to remember, and to your point earlier, Alex, about Barbashev being a good penalty killer, he is on a normal basis. He has not seen the Vancouver power play yet. It's true. So do you take him and say, hey, guess what? Here's the deep end. I don't know. I would say, you know what? Let's stick with what we had. We killed off seven penalties last game. I think these guys are kind of figuring it out. Do what you're doing. It lets Barbie get his legs back under him without being under siege the whole game.
3: I think what you just said might have changed my opinion on this because I was leaning on Kyra. I put down my lines here and I had Kairu on the fourth line because I want that speed in there. We saw what that did for the Blues in the last couple of games. It's just it's a different L. He can bring to the table that the Blues don't have a lot of. They don't have a lot of those guys that can just get from zero to 100 at the, at the drop of a hat. Kyrou can do that, and so I liked what he brought to the table, but if you do have some questions about Barbashev and his readiness to go out there and play a full game with the penalty kill and every every responsibility that you expect him to have in this one, maybe you do have to keep De La Rose out there to be able to take on some of those other responsibilities that you would typically put with a guy like Barbashev. That's an interesting point, Jamie. I, hadn't, I honestly
2: I hadn't considered you. The other thing you had to... He has a lot of those. I, I mean, I can't even be nice. You're no, really. I can't even be nice. No, you're. You can't. You're not allowed to. Uh, it would be interesting <laughs> what happens with Blade too. I mean, he played the rest of the third period. But oh, he's playing. You think so? Oh, he's playing. The flying Kade Frenchman.
4: He don't care. You put a garbage shotguns. can
2: on his head. He's playing. Sammy's shotguns back. Justin
3: Falk is another guy to watch tonight. He is redeeming himself with the play that he has shown thus far in the postseason. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up. Uh, we apologize for Chris Kerber. He was not able to join us here. Going to join us coming up at one o'clock. So, Curbs, the voice of the blues, coming up at one o'clock. I want to talk about um, what's going on with Justin Falk with him. Coming up next, Tommy Edmond. Are we getting close to the point where he's got to drop down in the lineup? What's gone wrong for Tommy Edmond at the plate thus far? We've got some numbers that tell an interesting story. We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
6: Watching these at bats today, and if you are paying attention to these games, you're seeing slider after slider after slider, change up, elevated fastball. And so when he's getting a base hit, it's a it's off the fastball. And so in 2019, um, you know he was seeing probably about 60 to 65 percent fastballs against him, and he would do some damage there. Now he could do a little damage against the off speed. But now in 2020, the league has made the adjustment. He's seen about 50% fastballs, but a lot of them are out of the zone and everything else is off speed. So he's going to have to make that adjustment.
3: That was Danny Mack on the show earlier today. Cardinals versus Cubs, a doubleheader today. By the way, a little bit of news to pass along. Johan Oviedo, the Cardinals' young starter that they are bringing up today is going to start game two so it should be exciting to be able to see him make his MLB debut not as a reliever but as a starter for the Cardinals tonight but I do want to get into Tommy Edmond and what we've seen thus far because the results just have not been there this is not the same player that we saw a year ago he's batting 171 so far this season his OPS is below 600 he's still batting second in the lineup that's where he's going to hit today he's playing a really good shortstop he's been great defensively which has been nice to see but his bat just hasn't been the same. And Dan got into a few of the reasons why there everything other than fastballs has been just killing him so far this year. He has yet to get a hit on the season against a breaking ball. He's batting 100 against off speed pitches. Jamie we see this all the time. A young player comes in. We saw this with Harrison Bader, in fact. He comes in. He takes the league by storm in his first season. They don't have a book on him, and he looks fantastic at the plate. And then the next season comes around. They have a little bit more of a scouting report on that player. They adjust to that player now the player has to adjust back to Major League Baseball. Harrison Bader has not been able to do that. The question now becomes, can Tommy Edman adjust to what he's seeing from these pitchers? And so far, we haven't seen it yet.
4: Well, look, I always look at it and compare it to goaltenders, right? And everybody last year said that about Jordan Bennington. OK, yeah, he's doing great, but wait until they have a book on him, you know. And so this year... People were waiting for that book to come out and figure out Jordan Binnington. And he had a really good year, okay? And, yeah, a couple of bumps in the road here in the playoffs, but that's that's irrelevant to what I'm talking about right now. I If we flip that to baseball players and at-bats, well, yeah, even though there are a lot of scouting reports and some video of these young guys coming up, more than there ever was before, I understand that, it still takes a while for some teams to figure out certain batters and right now it looks like they've figured out, well, one, they figured out Harrison Bader. I mean, just throw this guy the slider, Yep. right? Just throw that at him, throw him the curveball. Uh, just uh, He's just not hitting it. Tommy Edmond looks like he's in the same boat right now. You know, you're throwing this guy, none of the pitches that he likes to see. And it's not just those guys either. A lot of young guys have this problem. And, you know, there was a young guy, uh, not, well, he was middle-aged guy, but it was a documentary I saw. This guy, could he was crushing fastballs for home runs. Home run, home run, home run. They figured out he couldn't hit the changeup, couldn't hit the curveball. That guy's name? Pedro Serrano. Okay, played for the Indians. He had a great, great career that was budding for him. I
3: think that was a 30-for-30, right?
4: I think it it may have been an East 60. I'm not sure. Either way, it doesn't matter. The point is, now we get back to the Cardinals, and Tommy Edmonds are struggling with this, and another guy, too, BK, that's not seeing pitches that he'd like to see is Dylan Carlson. And now I'm not su- I'm not suggesting for one second that they've figured out Dylan Carlson, but BT had a great segment yesterday on the fast lane, talking with Stalton and Ronge about the types of pitches that Dylan Carlson is seeing and the numbers of fastballs that he's seeing to my knowledge, I believe he's only seen actually three fastballs so far. And per, uh, On Twitter, said, no major league regular is seeing fewer fastballs right now than Dylan Carlson. Quote, that's a lot of respect for a player just starting out. So, you know what? Like, we're seeing a trend here where pitchers are like, you know what? Let's see how you do with the changeup. Let's see how you do with the off speed. Let's see how you do with the location just a bit outside, just a bit lower than you're used to. They're testing these hitters to become, well, better hitters, major league hitters. And right now it's working for him.
3: And this is the difference between what you see at AAA and what you see in those spring training sites and what you're seeing down in Springfield, what you see in the big leagues, right? For Dylan Carlson, he's he's getting a trial by fire right now. And he's hitting the ball hard. He's had some bad luck outs. Yes, I know BK, the expect... Whatever. <laughs> Dylan Carlson has made some good contact. It hasn't gone down for him yet. And I expect that it loud will. Outs, I think to say loud outs is what they say. Certainly. I think it will. I have more hope for him right now than I do for Tommy Edman. He's at least showing signs of progress against those pitches. Tommy Edmond is on top of everything. Like Everything is going straight into the dirt. It's a, it's a grounder. He's hitting ground balls at a, a rate that is significantly higher than where he was a year ago. 60% of everything he's hitting going straight onto the ground. He's not able to beat it out despite his great speed because there's no real power behind it. And suddenly you've got the trickler down the line. They're throwing him out at first. Tommy Edmond goes straight back to the bench. It's just a, a circle that he's doing. Every time that he's going up to the plate, And if he's going to be hitting second in the lineup, that's not something you can deal with. So I think that the Cardinals here pretty soon are going to have to start considering, do we move Tommy Edmond down in the lineup? Maybe he's a guy that, with Harrison Bader potentially being out of the lineup for the foreseeable future, maybe your new nine-hole hitter is Tommy Edmond for now until he's able to get this kind of figured out.
4: Let me ask you guys a question here, okay? Because, first of all, it's very difficult to make adjustments in a regular Major league baseball season because they do play so often. Now, in a regular season, you do have a few days where there's practice and there's things you can work on and off days and a lot more time, even though there's very little. There's no time at all this season. Like zero available. So how do guys like Harrison Bader and Tommy Edman? How do they adjust? How do they work on things? How do they get better at this when there's no time to do it? Now, Dylan Carlson, like, to your point, I'm not as worried because he is. Like, he's looking the part, right? Everybody says, he just look, He's comfortable in there. He's hitting the ball hard. He's been unlucky. He's going to figure it out.
3: Danny Mack fir- mentioned this earlier, and he- he's absolutely right. Yesterday was the first day where I didn't think that was the case. Yesterday, yeah, was he a was little, a little he's showing a little too much urgency.
4: A little disappointed in leaving the bags drunk there a couple of times. But I will say that overall, though— I do think you know, watching him, the eye test to me, even doesn't know anything about baseball. The eye test to me, he says he's going to be okay. But I worry about Edmund and Bader because where do you improve? How? What do you go out at night in the parking lot and work on? You have nowhere to go. That should be what BP is for. Um, yeah, but how often are you going to be able to do that? In his, we have doubleheader today. Yeah. It's less time than you would like. It is.
3: <laughs> no, I like You've it. got a
4: whole other team of guys that you got to focus on, too.
3: I'm giving you the answer and it's not a good one. And I wish that there was a better one, but right now, <laughs> like the only thing that he can do is. Damn he, it, BT, gets, BK, I want answers. He gets out there for, for batting practice, and hopefully you're able to work on a few things, side adjustments, different things that you can do in terms of pitch selection. Hopefully that can help out Tommy Edmond. He had a great at-bat late in the game. It just didn't get the result that you wanted. He he was fighting. He was battling up there, just didn't end up getting the result that you were looking for. So there are certain things that can be done, and I'm sure that they're hitting coach is working with him consistently. But in the meantime, because of these double headers that they have had, Jamie, there's certainly less time to work on that stuff. That's going to open up a little bit here, starting tomorrow. So hopefully that can be something that they're able to work through. And in the meantime, I would, after this first game, where he's still batting second, if we don't start seeing some results, there does need to start being some urgency here pretty soon. And I do think a drop in the lineup for him is probably in order.
4: One last thing I'd like to say about Dylan Carlson. And to my point, a long time ago about, is it too soon? Is it too soon? Did they bring him up too early? They should wait. They should let him marinate a little bit down in the minors and all that stuff. This is actually to your point, earlier on and i give you full credit for this this is why they probably should have him up to let him go through this stuff and figure it out and watch major league baseball pitchers because he's not getting those pitches down at the satellite camp he's getting guys who can't locate like they are here in the majors so i think this is learning on the fly for dylan carlson it's probably the best move
3: and 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314 guys dylan carlson has not looked the part of the superstar that he was supposed to be give it a little bit of time (laughs) let's give him i don't know 10 games Give him a little bit of time. <laughs> he should be out there each and every day. He is clearly going to be a really good player. I, I truly believe that for the Cardinals. He looks the part right now. Give him a little bit of time. I do believe that those results will start coming I'm for I'm sorry,
2: didn't we put 400%
4: expectancy on him to hit? Uh, his expected hit rate today is very high because we yeah. all, four of us,
0: expect him yeah, to hit. So, so that's
3: going to change today. Yeah. The junk drawer is coming up next.
0: We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on one Oh one ESPN.
3: Let's dive into the junk drawer and I got to get us started today. Jamie, I can't get enough of these stories. Uh-oh. I cannot get enough of them. All right. More bubbles,
4: tiny bubbles, kind
3: of. <laughs> I'm right. right. not sure on the size, but
0: <laughs> hold Zoom, on. Zoom, Zoom
3: meetings, said. Zoom meetings. <laughs> have just been a problem for so many different companies. How many times do we have to hear about somebody making an unfortunate decision while unknowingly being on Zoom with the rest of their coworkers before we all (laughs) figure out how to turn off our camera when we are, I don't know, on a meeting with the city council members? Oh, okay, yeah, let's hear this. A couple down in Rio de Janeiro during a meeting about How to guarantee food for students During the pandemic <laughs> Was caught having sex Oh wow Get On out this of here. meeting Did he record it? It was on the Zoom meeting There were yeah, but, seven of them Yeah but did they record S- wait, it? Wait
4: seven of them were having sex?
3: No Two of them having sex Seven no, that's different people you call people it orgy Well yeah but I was like Wow this, this just got better <laughs> there were seven people on the meeting and one of them unknowingly...
2: Which I'm not sure how, how do this do happens. That? Usually you got to pay for that kind of thing. Yeah. That's what I've
4: heard. Oh, that reminds me. i got to remove my... Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> unknowingly still had their camera on. I, I
2: never While understand the this. the meeting was taking place. Okay. I've done how these before. How many of these stories have Whoa, we talked about have? at this no, point? No, not those. Okay. Here's, okay. A, here's the thing, though. I always have the... Like, I'm always worried... Like when I'm on a Mosaic press conference or a post-game Zoom with the Blues, I'm always worried that I'm not muted or that I'm not, you know, blanking the camera so that nobody can see it. And I'm double-checking that 24-7. Absolutely.
4: So do you think, let me, this is what goes through my head on this one. You know, certain people are into certain things, right? And um, some people like to be watched. Some dogs like some, to get after it. Some dogs like to
3: get after it. Um, specifically yep. to, to clarify here: Jamie's dog is very into stuffed animals. Yeah. He's very, very active.
4: Was. He's it's a very active, act, uh, active sexual life. He stuffed the animal. Yes. There's uh, teddy bears that have. Uh, yes. So, anyways, um, <laughs> back to my point originally is if people maybe they maybe they're accidentally on purpose doing this stuff because it's something that they're into. Yeah, you, you think no about way. that. Like, you can't you lose saying? your job. Right? Yeah, like, there's no way you can you? continue being employed.
3: What if after the performance
2: this? is good, can you get a raise? That might be Somebody a question a for raise. the bosses around here. Hey, if this let's say hypothetically this were to happen. Hey Ryder
3: I've got a quick question for you. If hypothetically speaking, we were in a sales meeting and suddenly there was a group that was doing something sexual in the background that was employed by the station, how would that go over?
4: Wait. It's telling me we would be fired. See, I disagree. I would fire them if they didn't include me on it. You know what, Rivers? Try it. I mean, the Zoom, the call. Try it, Ribs. Try that one again. Take two on that one. (laughs) All right, so look it. Staying in theme with what you just talked about, I, too, came across a Zoom incident. Uh Uh-oh. This one here, a little different. So imagine in these times right now that we're going through, you know, you can't always be present or you're not allowed to be present in certain areas in the courtroom. So they do a Zoom or they do a, you know, in video conference Where you have the lawyers You have the judge Who's actually in his courthouse at that time And you have the person that's appearing In front of the court on the Zoom as well And as you can see It's just just like being in the courtroom Except everybody has their own little video screen Until the person who is being Oh, I don't know Sentenced or heard Let's talk about that maybe uh, Decides to try to minimize the Zoom and pull up oh let's say a adult video website and watch that while they're being sentenced by the judge except for they screen shared by accident oh hypothetically by accident Okay and so the judge And the lawyers and the court Clerks and all that got a nice Visual of people who were Having intercourse via this Adult website that the um, The the <laughs> defender The defendant Was pulling up in the middle of Actually being sentenced Fantastic
2: Yeah do you think that helped Does that, Yeah I was just going to ask Do you think that helped his chances I think that shaves a year off does the judge then look back on it and is like,
3: you know, after further consideration, I think you're already rehabilitated.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Shaves a
3: year
4: off. The judge actually just suspended the hearing, the virtual hearing, and agreed to readjourn the following day. Uh, and then the Client, The defendant was then asked to not be on the Zoom, but to have representation from their lawyer. If the judge didn't decide that, I think
3: the lawyer probably would have.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of lawyers um, and speaking of football, I'm a little worried about a guy named Bashad Breeland. Oh, he's fine. Um, Yeah, apparently he's not, okay? Because yep. uh, he's facing a four game suspension for violating the NFL's policy of substance abuse. It'll be fine. Yeah, That's. this is fine. It's what we do. BK, I've never been more convinced that the Chiefs are self imploding than in recent times.
3: Well, see, I'm less worried about this one because we already knew about this in March, and then he was arrested for marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> again, Mahomes will just give yeah, him money. But now It'll he's be being suspended
4: I've... for four games.
3: I'm more worried about the one that was just announced earlier this week by the Chiefs defensive coordinator. It had not been said publicly <laughs> that their defensive tackle, Mike Pinnell, was going to be suspended early this season. Nice. And Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, was out talking to the media. And he was like, yeah, you know, we're going to be without Pinnell for the first few weeks. And the media was like, wait, what? What are you talking wait, about? What just happened? And Spags was like, oh, uh... I didn't say that uh,
4: Ixnay on The so, uh, the
3: Chiefs have two defensive starters that are going to be without for We don't know how long with Pennell, but at least the first week
4: or two. Listen, Patrick Mahomes is great, but the wheels are falling off this bus pretty fast, my friend It'll be fine
3: I'm sure everything's going to be A-OK
4: <laughs> This is fine
3: One more thing that I wanted to get to with you, Jamie Earlier today on the Today Show, there was some significant news that I bet you is going to affect your life Oh, boy
0: all right now we got some good news courtesy of the girl scouts they got a brand new cookie to tell you about we think you're gonna like this one introducing the toast yay oh. it's french <laughs> toast inspired cookie one side dipped in icing the cookie will be available in select markets that's starting in january hell yeah
3: french toast cookies oh yeah i'm
2: in in or out in In? in In? are you out on this you can't be out on french toast I'm not out on French toast That's like for French sure toast But cookies. you gotta have
4: Canadian maple syrup On that thing though. You know Never mind the you, I mean you could just Pour it over Would you call it maple syrup Oh, uh, Maybe I don't And it's sucks What's your go to Girl scout cookie When you're ordering it oh, we all Samoas know Moas, Yes It's the number one Draft, boy, draft choice And yep. there is no close There's second There's no uh, And like So my wife likes Thin mints And this I'm like Nope 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 Every year at the Rivers House, Samoas get demolished. Yeah. It's almost like prison rules to see who can get to the boxes first.
2: Close second for me would be tag-alongs, though, but my wife changed my life by showing me that you
3: Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk with Chris Kerber. He is the voice of the Blues. You will hear Blues versus Canucks game number 5 pregame starting at 8.30 right here on 101 ESPN. The puck drop with Kerbs and Joey Vitale coming up at 9.30. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, my man. Let's start with this. Ryan O'Reilly, we've talked a ton about the impact that he has had in this series and especially in the last couple of games. What have you seen from O'Reilly? We all see that he's playing well. What have you seen specifically that's been such a thorn in the side of these
5: Canucks? He just does not give up on a puck. I mean, when you talk about a guy that plays to the very end of a shift, if he has a chance to get to a puck or to win it, he will. And he has forced whatever line it's been, whether it's been the Horvat line or whether it was the Pedersen line. He's really forced those guys to have to defend. And then when he doesn't have the puck, he goes and gets it. I mean, this is, he, he's, he, you talk about a guy that's just continued to develop as his career's gone along. But he is so good on the puck. And he, he works on so many things, like that goal that he scored on the backhand. I mean, it's, it's actually something that, that – it's a it's a type of play that he's actually practiced, and Craig Berube talked on that yesterday. So, um, man, just, just work ethic, and, and it just shows you – when Craig Berube said the other day that, look, we're not going to – we can't outskill somebody. We, we've got to outwill them, and that's just what Ryan O'Reilly's done. He's he just he, – he just knew he, had to, he wanted to play better, and my goodness, uh, it is, did he put on a show the other night now.
4: Curbs, speaking of skill and will, um, a couple of adjustments to the Blues lineup. Unfortunately, uh, we hear that Vladimir Tarasenko coming back to St. Louis to get evaluated there. Um, So we lose a little bit of skill in in that player, a lot of skill, actually, in in that player. But we do get a little bit of will back in the lineup, hopefully, in Ivan Barbashev. And just kind of isolating those two players. What do you think we can see from the the lines as far as Craig Brewey's concerned, or has Chief even discussed any possibilities of where he might slot in Ivan Barbashev?
5: I would I would expect, uh, and, and we did we we had a chance to talk to Craig uh, just an hour ago, so or forty five minutes ago. So I apologize that we had to push the segment back. But, but Barbashev, if he goes in, I look for Mackenzie McCracken. To to be one of the guys, uh, you know, potentially coming out there. I think he still isn't isn't committing that to us. But to be honest with you guys, I I just look at who's, you know, when the fact that he's had the chance to play Cairo up the lineup a little bit. I think Jacob De La Rose has been very responsible defensively as uh, centerman in that, that that I see Ivan Barbashev going in for for McKenzie McEachern, in my opinion. And I just don't think McKenzie has been as effective as, as the Blues could need him to be. And those other guys give him and give uh, Berube some, some flexibility with his lines and his lineup, which I, I think is really important. Yeah. Ivan Barbashev is one of those guys that can turn around and, and just step into that lineup, and he can give you 12 to 15 minutes, and it's going to be physical play. I'd expect the Blues to start probably with their same penalty killing, uh, pairings as they had in the last game since the since you know Vancouver went over seven. But having said that, if, they, if one of those guys you know ends up in the penalty box, Ivan Barbashev can slide in, and that that's where he's going to see some added minutes.
3: Curbs, you mentioned there De La Rose, and he was great in the last game, specifically on the PK, and the Blues in general were great in the peak on the PK in the last game. What have you seen change? Because early on in this series, that was the issue for the Blues. Anytime that the Canucks went on the power play, I fully expected that they were going to score on it. What have you seen change from the Blues on their penalty kill in the last couple of games?
5: Listen, even in that last game, every time they went on the power play, I fully expected them to score. <laughs> you know, like, And at the end of the game, you're like, oh, goodness, they didn't. Uh, I, I think the Blues did a better job of getting sticks in the lanes uh, I think they did a better job of keeping, you know, the puck to the outside. Uh, Jake was making saves, which was important. But this, this is a this is a stat, especially for a power play that was clicking at thirty percent. That is mind blowing. Twelve minutes of power play time and only eight shots on goal. I mean, that, that's that's what the Blues allowed there. So, you know, Vancouver didn't seem as willing. I think because of the way the Blues are playing them. I, I really do kind of think that Vancouver might have thought it was going to be a little bit easier. And, and they took the foot off the gas a little bit. They weren't as clean with their passes. The Blues defended better. The Blues read better. I thought the Blues pressured more uh, smartly. You know, rather rather than just going, they went when they thought they could really win the puck and not give up some inside battles. And, and I thought, to me, that was a that that was just a huge difference in that game. Plus, and then this is not rocket science. Your best penalty killer has to be your goaltender. And when they needed the saves, they got them from Jake.
4: Yeah, Kerb. So that's where I kind of want to go here is not just Jake Allen alone, but you talk about a team. And when you say the word team, it's very specific. We're not talking about individuals. And when you say the word depth, certainly we're talking about a number of individuals on that team. The St. Louis Blues have tremendous depth, and they are tremendous as a team. And that is what I think makes a big difference. But for you, how important is that now that they've clawed their way back into this series? The Vancouver Canucks have some great individuals, and yes, a good young team. But the St. Louis Blues have a team that just pulls together at all times. How important is that now that it's a sprint to the end of this series?
5: Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think it's important that the guys that were not in the lineup last year or were on last year really understand to continue to buy into that. And and because, you know, look, last year, every single series that the Blues played went to a best-of-three. Every single series they were 2-2 two, two in. And, and does that carry over? We asked Craig Berube that, and he said, I'm not really sure that it does because this situation is different. And look at it like this. I know at the beginning of the year, we're going in saying, oh, look, the Blues, except for Pat Maroon, are essentially returning the same team. But then look what's happened. You lose Vladimir Tarasenko for the year, and now he's not available for you in the playoffs. The incident with Jay Bollmeister, you know, took him away from you. So there's no Tarasenko, no Bollmeister. Massive minutes with those guys. You didn't re-sign Pat Maroon, that one we knew, and then right at the beginning of the season before it starts, you traded Joel Edmondson. So here it is going into game five against uh, the Vancouver Canucks in the first round of the playoffs, right? And you've got Jordan Cairo. You've got Jacob De La Rose in the lineup. You're, you're relying more on play and more on Sanford than you did. Remember, those two guys were in and out of the lineup in the first round last year against Winnipeg. You've got uh, Justin Falk. who well, Yeah, he did go to the conference final last year with the Carolina Hurricanes, but it's his first run you know, with the St. Louis Blues. There's a, there's a lot of different makeup to this. And so that depth that you're talking about, Jamie, in my opinion, is critically important. Um, and not just the depth of having guys to be able to, to play the role, but guys that have to kind of get the experience and understand it. And I specifically asked that to Craig this morning, if he's seen enough progress on them. And he said, yep, he likes the way it's going, he likes the way they're seeing and they've got to continue to grow if this team's going to have success. Because it's one thing to say we have depth, it's another thing for them, for them that depth to get in there and then be impactful in a playoff series. We're
3: talking with Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Blues versus Canucks game number five tonight. Puck drops at 9.30 pregame with Alex Ferrario begins at 8.30. Some of that depth is also in net. We're seeing Jake Allen now over the last couple of games just look fantastic for the Blues curbs. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, do you think that he's going to be the guy that gets the start tonight? And second of all, what has he done so well in this series, in your
5: opinion? Yeah, Jake was apparently the first guy to leave the ice this morning, so that's a sign that he's going to be the starting goaltender. Um, And Jake's just been Jake. We, We talked to him a week ago you know, on a Zoom call and just asking stuff. And we asked about the role he's playing. He said he actually he said that he thinks that he's he's in the last year and a half he's really found his way as what it what he needs to be and what it means to be a goaltender in the National Hockey League. He's he's taken on the fact that he knows that this has become Jordan Bennington's team. But he said, "I need to be ready. I will be ready." He goes, "At some point in time, you're going to get in there, and this team's going to count on you." And and you, he goes. I want them to be able to count on me, and I want them to know that if I get in there, that I'm going to give them the best I can to help this team win. And that's exactly what he's done. Uh, he's been what we've seen from Jake in this these last two games. I think is a lot of what he looked like a couple of years ago against Minnesota, and and that to me is the key. Just very efficient, quick movements, not sliding in and out of the crease a whole heck of a lot but just efficient saves. And the other thing that he's done, I I think this was tremendous in those last couple games. He's so good at playing the puck. At times I think he's almost foiled the Vancouver forecheck just by coming out and playing the puck. And we saw Jake play the puck not only short passes to the defense, we saw him with zone and a half passes to forwards, which totally broke down the Vancouver forecheck. And uh, I think think that's played a role in it too. And, look, I still think you're going to use both goaltenders yet. Even, I mean, we've already used to have done it once. I think it's going to happen again somewhere along the lines. But the Blues are going to have to get out of this series. And right now, it it looks like it's, it's Jake's series to have yeah,
4: curves. to your point uh, about Jake Allen, great observation. And then we were talking about that yesterday, and I even was giggling that if Jake Allen was a goalie when I was playing, uh, I probably would be at risk because his outlet passes were better than mine. Uh, mm-hmm. and th- <laughs> you know what? That really does stifle a forecheck check because Vancouver, let's be honest, they're they're fighting a lot in their own zone to try and get the puck back. And when they get it, they're not getting any sustained time in the in the blue zone because Jake is so good at the outlet pass. So to your point as well, I I do think and, and, you know, in your opinion, too, as well, I think that every series when it's done, you almost are able to reset the table for the next series. And if that's the case, depending on the opponent, as great as Jake is playing right now, I do feel that Bennington, if he matches up or he's ready to go or Craig Berube has one of his gut feelings that once the series is over, I think you're allowed to reset the table and kind of start from new. 100%.
5: One hundred percent. I think it could depend highly on the opponent. The opponent, it could depend, you know, greatly on some career success that they've had against a certain opponent. Um, it, it, it's where do their shooters tend to shoot, and compares to where they uh, the, the the other team scouting report is. It was pretty clear, and unfortunately, not being able to get into the media scrums to ask these questions, right, or even to pull a guy aside and ask them in the hallway it kind of prohibits some of some of the depth that even as broadcasters we'd like to get some things answered. It's pretty clear that, that Vancouver picked a sore spot on Jordan Binnington on that low blocker over the pad. And we know that that's the, one of the hardest saves for any goaltender to make. But, I mean, when Bo Horvat scores three goals on that side and, and, and that's where the goals are going in, they found something. I think by the Blues changing to Jake Allen, that changes the scouting report of what the team had to do a little bit. And they've been able to even the series, I think, because of that. Now, Jake's ability to come out and play the puck, I think, has just been so good. And and it's going to change the way Vancouver has to chip it in. If the Blues can jam the blue line like they did in Game 4 and force Vancouver to chip it in, even those soft chips into the corner, all of a sudden those Vancouver forwards know that they're going to get hit by a bigger defenseman. And that's going to continue to wear as this series goes on. So whether it goes 6, whether it goes 7, we know it's going one of those two. Uh, I still think the blues are doing a great job of putting the physical equity in that because of smaller plays like that could end up making a difference. It it didn't look to me like they really wanted to play below the goal line or in the corners uh, against the blues in that last game. And we'll we'll see if uh, Travis green can get them to change that mindset. But that's a a hard one to change when you know you're going to get pasted every time.
3: Cars, we're looking forward to it, man. Blues versus Canucks, game number five tonight with pregame starting at 8.30 with Alex Ferrario. We get to hear you and Joey Vitale coming up at 9.30 for the puck drop. We always appreciate the time, my man. We look forward to the game tonight. We'll talk with you again soon. Okay, guys. Have a great rest of the day. Talk to you soon. You got it. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jamie, I know you love this game. Are you ready for the latest edition? Of Are we sure? It's coming up next on
0: 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
4: Are we sure? Are we sure that Jamie's going to be able to do it this week? No. No. This is stress levels, guys, that I can't even speak to. I get the cold sweats. I get the jitters because I'm i never sure of what you're actually you asking me. You just
2: four Tylenol before we even started this oh, segment. I had to practice six, my five, breathing
3: exercises. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for are we sure? So this is going to be a negative, oh, Jamie. No. I'm just going to give you a heads up ahead of time. I'm We're just going to answer those.
4: it and deal with the consequences. Are we
3: sure that I didn't get played by a wedding venue? Let me explain what had happened. So, as you guys know, I proposed about a week and a half ago now.
2: You never told me that.
3: <laughs> to my, at the time, lovely girlfriend, Kara. Well, she's not lovely she's now anymore. my fiancé. Did you call oh, her, Karen?
4: wow. You guys are the worst. Continue. So,
3: I proposed, and the next step, of course, you got to figure out the venue and the date, right? And the date is basically determined by the venue. What we quickly learned... Was that because all of the weddings this year have been postponed, 2021 is essentially a year where you're going to have two years of weddings in one calendar year. So like the Cardinals, double headers. Exactly. All right. So we went to a venue over the weekend. It was the first one that we went to. We absolutely loved it. It, it was basically exactly what we were looking for. It's the right price Corral. range. Uh, that was second on the oh, list. Yeah. All right. Didn't end up getting there. It was perfect for us, right? The problem is, earlier this week, we were looking at two dates, December 4th through the 11th of next year. Those are the only ones they have available for 2021. So we first are looking at December 4th, right? Let's have it as early as we can. That's the earliest option. Well, the person in charge emails us on Monday and says, Hey, just so you know, just so you know what happened? <laughs> just so you know we have one other couple that is looking at the December 4th option my like, oh, she's probably selling this is this is this is her trying to create some urgency right cuz i told them we we're looking at some other options mm, you're playing the game you got played She then says the next day, sends a follow-up email. Hey, by the way, December 4th is officially off the table. We had a couple that just booked it, and they have paid their deposit. Uh, December 11th is the last date available in 2021. Panic setting in. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Yep. We knew we loved this place. There was no question. It, it has, again, everything we're looking for. But there's one date remaining, and then she did, the kicker really comes in. I ask again, because she was clearly being honest the first time around. Totally. Yeah. Is there another couple that is looking at this last date? Because if so, obviously for us, I didn't say this in the email, but the urgency really starts to set in. Okay. She says, yes, there is one other couple that is looking at that date. Just wanted to let you know that, give you a heads up. So can you beat her? To the punch, though? We booked last night. We,
2: I, oh, we we weren't willing to take any
3: chances. We had some more schedules. I was willing to break up venues. the other couple
2: for you. <laughs> well, that's why I said, can you beat... And I was like, dude, you can't beat the other couple. No, you, you can definitely... Interrupted. We had some venue uh, tour
3: schedules for this upcoming weekend. We canceled them. We were like, it's not worth messing with it. So, my,
4: are we sure Are we sure that I didn't get played by this wedding venue? I don't know what I'm sure of, but I know you got played. Yeah, you got, you got played. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know you got played on that one. That is the oldest trick in the book of, oh, boy, you better take this last spot. It's available. And it's only price and a half right now.
2: This, this same thing happened with me and my wife when really? we just bought our house. The other realtor must not know how to play the game because we had already put the offer in and it was accepted. But then they sent us a text and said, "Hey, just so you know, there's another offer on the table for the house." Mm. Like, what kind of game are you playing? We just bought the house. Yeah. Didn't understand how to play the game. Not real good. You got at played that. though. Now I do have a follow-up
4: question, yeah, please. Um, with all the that, that wonderful money that will be going out right at Christmas time, <laughs> have you guys just agreed that your gift is giving yourselves to each other?
2: I- Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? What? Yeah. That's the gift. Yeah,
4: every sense of the way. Yeah,
2: that's the
1: gift. Mario, <laughs> <laughs> don't make it weird, man.
2: Will.
3: Uh, my middle yeah. name. Listen, I'm already officially broke. Like, we had to pay the deposit. It, we are, I am in a, a good spot right
4: now.
2: It's a good thing you don't have student loan. Oh, mind. they'll start back up here in uh, about two weeks. It's a good so, thing you don't have to buy a house. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Hopefully in yeah. the spring. Whew. Good. On the plus side, I didn't just buy a re. Hey, oh. uh, uh, the good, is good cool. news is if you get a flat tire, you can fix it. Uh, oh no, you can't no, do that. You either. can't grill either. Congratulations, so
3: that's, that's
0: though. Hey, <laughs> thanks, guys. Yes.
3: So next December, I hope you guys are ready for a winter wedding. I'm busy. What's the date? Doesn't matter. Let's be honest. I'm busy. <laughs> 65780, our comfort <laughs> service text line. By the way, from the 618, as a person who used to be in sales, she played you like a game of Monopoly.
4: Yeah. Oh, yep. man. But yeah, from but the what were
3: I used to work in the sales office for a local wedding, wedding venue. This is a very accurate description of how the business works.
4: So what you should have done, BK, and this is a little advice from a wily veteran, see all the white hair uh-huh. on top of my head and in my beard, is you should have called and talked about reserving, and then you should have had Kara call as another couple and going to be reserving it for her and her wedding, right? Obviously, it's the same wedding. Sure. And that way there, what happens is you play this person then. Because then one of you carries it right to the very end and then says, uh, I'm out. And then you know that. See what I'm saying? So we're newbies? That would have been a really good idea. Yeah, like for my next couple of weddings, I got this figured out. <laughs> 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 65780 is the Air Comfort
3: Service text Line for Are We Sure? Jamie, are we sure that this was really the time for this announcement from the federal committee? According to the Wall Street Journal, a federal committee's recommendation for new U.S. dietary guidelines says men should only drink one drink of
4: alcohol per day
3: oh great I'm are we dead. sure this
4: was really the time for that announcement I'm dead. Uh, no i'm not sure and whoever that person is is fired they've got to be one drink one drink I had
2: one drink one drink five minutes.
4: Dads, what
3: they say you shouldn't be held to yeah no thanks one drink.
2: Rivers, when was the last time you just had one drink? It's actually a really great question. Okay. Right? Let me tell you this. When you
3: were 13? What qualifies as one drink for Jamie Rivers, actually? That's a good point, because one p- bottle of wine. B- yeah. But there's different sized B- bottles, yeah. bottles as well. That's true.
4: Okay, here's the truth. I have never, ever only had one drink. Like, what's the point? Amen. What is the point? Like, yeah. I, well, Okay, let me take it back, okay? You enjoy the drink.
3: It's like
2: cooking no. a pizza no, no, and no, saying, no, no, I'm no. just going to have one bite. Nope, no
4: chance. No, don't give me that I enjoy the drink <laughs> stuff. No, we're not doing that. You're you one of those
2: guys that goes, just drinks a little of the wine. I love the taste. No, th- it does,
4: listen, there's a purpose in drinking, okay? The drink, y- you get a buzz on, Locking okay? Out. One drink's just not doing it for me, and I've never had one. Now, some people may be lightweights. All right, which is fine. Why'd you Uh, look at me? Well, no reason. But anyways, (laughs) lightweights that maybe drink seltzer. Anyways, um, (laughs) if they get buzzed off of one drink, then one, I'm happy for them because it's a lot less financially that's on them and they get their buzz on and they do the thing. That doesn't work for me. So never in my lifetime have I ever had one drink and called it a day. Truth. They call that a problem, I guess. (laughs) No, I actually think it's...
3: It's a good thing. It it fits your character, Jamie. It it fits who you
2: are. He just called you an alcoholic, Rips. I don't know what he just called me. Are we sure? Are
4: we sure (laughs) that VK didn't just (laughs) not call me not an alcoholic?
3: 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. BK, you definitely got played. Also, I can't believe you're getting married during hockey season. You already know that Rivs and Alex will not be attending as a result.
2: You guys will be there. That's a really great point. We'll be there for sure. You guys will
4: be there. Uh, I believe in-
2: I'll believe. do pre and post from there. i tell you what. I will definitely be at the party. I will definitely be at the reception if there's alcohol. <laughs>
3: Honestly, that is all
2: we care about.
3: <laughs> we got. We, if you're not at the
2: ceremony, that's perfectly fine. Be at the reception, I though. will definitely think about RSVPing, yes.
4: What, yes. Now, what is the dress code going to be? Oh, I, I'm Canadian. Well, whatever. I'm, I'm Canadian sort of suit. Business casual? Yeah. Okay, so for me, that's just Birthday naked suit. with dress, yeah,
2: <laughs> and dress shoes say. on. I'm By going way, Canadian
4: suit. <laughs> so
3: our guy <laughs> Danny Mac is on the call for Cardinals versus Cubs. They're playing a doubleheader today. Remember when we talked about how this uh, this lineup was having issues and Tommy Edmund shouldn't be the two-hole hitter? They've got to get some better hitters up towards the top of the lineup. Well, they've got the bases loaded with no outs in the top of the first inning. And your cleanup <laughs> is Matt Carpenter. <laughs> Are, Are we sure? Matt
4: Carpenter. <laughs> I wish it was Milzy.
2: I wish it was Millsy, too. Millsy's oh, on the can mound. Can
4: you imagine? Actually, I wish it was Fernando Tatis Jr.
5: right
3: now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> not Speaking not on of Fernando pitch. Tatis Jr., Jamie has a new favorite baseball player. We'll tell you a little bit about that and a potential solution to Major League Baseball's 60-game problem and why the Cardinals might play into it in a significant way. We'll talk
0: about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: for Matt Carpenter not being a good option as your cleanup hitter.
2: They are shoving all of this right in my BK, face. You're on a roll, but in the opposite direction. You're rolling back uphill. You're like Marty Mush. Any take you have,
4: I'm betting the opposite way. Marty Mush. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm betting opposite to BK's
2: We just got a
4: Marty Mush reference. <laughs> this is going
3: really well for me. So... The Cardinals had the bases loaded in the top of the first with their first three hitters. Matt Carpenter comes to the plate. No outs. Bases loaded. He's your cleanup hitter. This is the spot that he has to come through. (laughs) And as he has his entire career, a career 491
2: batting average with the bases loaded. hits a grand slam. You know, the problem was, VK, you expected him to get out. I mean, your expectancy for him was zero percent. Not good on that one. I mean, I don't understand why you're doing this to these guys.
4: Although I did, I will say you did mention that with the bases loaded, he's really good. He's really good. And so of course, he should be your cleanup hitter moving forward. Dexie and O'Neill. Oh, oh, Mills, he's running. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> You're stealing Danny Mac's
3: job,
2: Rivs.
4: No, I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> so with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Like Jamie said, if I say something, just expect the opposite to happen. Well, you
2: did say, too, that the Blues were going to win in seven, so... It's obviously going to happen in six Six. now.
3: I've always been a big fan of Brad Miller. I've always believed that the Blues would win in six. We've talked about this. So there is a solution that Derek Gould has proposed for the MLB 60 game problem. And what this is is, well, they got to figure out how to make this work for the postseason for teams that may not get to 60 games. So what Derek Gould has suggested is Jamie take a take a page out of the NHL's playbook. Okay. I like go, it already. Go to a point system. Instead of going by winning percentage, you go with points. So every 9-inning win that you have, so a typical game, you would get 2 points if you win that game. Every 7-inning game that you win, you would be able to get 1 point out of that. So the double-headers that the Cardinals have been forced to play, they would only be able to get 1 point out of those wins unless you sweep that series. You sweep that double-header, then you get an extra point for that this is series. Giving me a headache. So you get sure? 3 points if you sweep a double-header. You get 2 points for every 9-inning win. What do you think about this idea, Jay? <laughs> Wait,
4: you just said it was three points for a nine-inning win and two points for a doubleheader sweep. It's two points for a nine-inning win. I That's your three. typical game. Two points. Okay. If you win a game
3: in seven innings, so part of a doubleheader, okay. playing two ga- two games that day, yep. you get one point for each win. But if you sweep that doubleheader, if you win both games that day, you get an extra point, so you would get three points for that day.
4: Where does the half point come in? There is no half. I feel drunk listening to this right now. I think the concept is good. Um, but with, uh, with the nine inning, seven inning doubleheader, this point, that point, minus a point for sunny days, I don't know. I think it's a lot. I think it'd be a lot mathematically for the uh, casual fan. To pull up on ESPN and be like, okay, let me check the standings. I don't really know. The Cardinals are like five points behind, but I don't know how the heck they get there because they've got a doubleheader, but they only won one, and then the other team won a nine-inning game, and I feel like I would be chasing myself with this process. I think it's silly. I think it's totally oh, unnecessary.
3: I think it is silly. I think Major League Baseball is making this harder than it needs to be. Set a minimum threshold. Say that if you get to that minimum threshold, you get to qualify for the postseason if you have one of the, whatever, seven best winning percentages in baseball. like that. That's it. It, it doesn't need to be this difficult. If the Cardinals, at the end of the season, have played, let's call it, 55 games, and they have one of the best winning percentages, then they get to go to the postseason. It yeah. doesn't need to be as hard as they're trying to make it.
4: No, I agree. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago when this was all going on. I, I, heck, we may have started talking about when the Marlins were going through it then, certainly when the Cardinals were going through We talked about a minimum amount of games in order to set a playoff standings or whatever. And at the time, I had said, well, 40 games. I think that's pretty low. I do think 50 games. I like your 55 idea, but I do think 50 games is probably optimal. And take the winning percentage at that point. Everybody's had a chance then to play a good, healthy amount of games. And you try to take as much of this confusion as you can out of it because I was just looking at that breakdown again. And I just think that that'd be way too much for a casual fan to try and digest. And
3: it also... It it, it disproportionately affects the teams that have been affected by COVID. So, like a team such as the Cardinals, because they have missed so many games, they're going to play more double headers. They're going to
4: be penalized for winning seven inning games. So, why are why are you penalizing them for having to play these games? What if they would have been in a nine inning game? What if they're way ahead, like seven nothing in seven innings? You know they would have won in nine. Shouldn't we give them an extra point? It's unnecessary. I just I don't know why we have to make
3: this thing more difficult than it has to be. Major League Baseball tends to do this, though, as they did with Fernando Tatis Jr. the other night when his team was up big. He decided, you know what? I'm going to swing for the fences just as Matt Carpenter did in my face earlier today. Fernando Tatis Jr. decides, boom, grand slam right then and there. Well, his manager comes out. The opposing manager comes out. They say how unfortunate that was. How he shouldn't have done it. He didn't see the signs. Whatever. Fernando Tatis Jr. comes out. He apologizes. And then last night, this happened. Oh
1: Tried my to goodness! Steal.
3: Third
5: base is Tatis made safe by the umpire, but Frazier said he got him. So they were coming off the field. He did get him. It looked like on the back leg. He is now safe. So
1: call stands. Good. That was the play-by-play of
3: Fernando Tatis Jr. late in the game, stealing third, up 6-0 to
2: with two outs. He didn't learn any lessons, and I'm so glad that he didn't learn any lessons. No, see, I think it's the opposite. I think he learned a lesson, and it was don't listen to everyone who's saying, you know, his... His, uh, his teammates, former MLB players, everyone came out the moment he apologized and said, Tatis, do not listen to these people. I mean, you have freaking Reggie Jackson talking about this. And the fact that he saw all of that and realized the support for Major League Baseball was you're doing the right thing. He went back to play in the o- his own game. So here's where I am with all this,
4: okay? One, I'm really disappointed in his manager. You don't come out and talk about how your player, you know, ignored the signs, blah, blah, blah. You have his back yeah. no matter what. You Can you imagine Craig Berube coming out in the media and saying, oh, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly shouldn't have put that puck in the empty net. We are already up by three goals. No, you d- you wouldn't see that happen. So I'm disappointed that the manager did not just come out and have his back and then behind closed doors, if he wants to abide by this stupid, unwritten rule, then you so talk to stupid. the guy behind closed doors and listen man fernando tatis jr this is like schoolyard baseball this is what people grew up playing never before when i played little league did my coach say hey by the way on a 3-0 count you got to take a pitch no swing away man hit a dinger steal third do whatever you can i'm impressed by this guy and yeah look at he's not my favorite player Yet. OK, Joe Kelly. I mean, this guy here, okay? <laughs> Joe Kelly Fight Club, this guy is is my guy right now. However, I love what now I find myself looking at the highlights specifically to see what he's done. And so if that's the case, then I think he should keep doing it. The manager, his manager, should just accept it and enjoy it. And, heck, Major League Baseball, be happy yeah. you have something fun to talk you about. you don't like him
2: stealing thirds, then throw him out. You exactly. don't like him hitting a home run or a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch, then throw it deeper or to the outside where he can't reach it. Like, just do not sit there and say, well, you need to follow our unwritten rules. No, that's dumb. That's dumb. The
3: best thing to come out of all of this is Fernando Tatis Jr., who is already one of the best players in baseball, currently leads baseball in runs, home runs, RBI, stolen bases, and he's batting 310 on the year with 71 total bases. What he's doing is ridiculous. One of the best young players, one of the best players in baseball, just became an even bigger star because the silliness of baseball put a spotlight on him for something we all seem to agree was actually... No harm, no foul. It was just him being an awesome baseball player. <laughs> and it called attention to the fact of, wow, this guy is such an awesome baseball player. Good on him. Loved seeing that last night. I'm glad to see that he didn't learn what I believe to be the wrong lesson in what his manager and the opposing manager were trying to teach him. Jack Flaherty's struggling a little bit to get through this first inning. We will hopefully not struggle as we cross things over with
0: the fast lane coming up next on 101 ESPN. The Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN
3: with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to cross things over with the fast lane.
4: Andy Slater's in studio. What's going on,
2: buddy? (laughs) What's Andy Slater?
1: Andy Slater.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I actually the other day I was perusing Twitter. And I saw this tweet from a guy called Andy Slater. Somebody had like liked it or retweeted it. And I did a double take. I'm like, wait, there's actually an Andy Slater?
1: I do that sometimes. Who's uh who's the guy? Who's the who's the local news reporter? Is it Anthony Slaughter? Sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes I do that too, where I'm looking <laughs> like, wait a minute. So we, uh, we talked a lot today about
3: the Cardinals and how you know Tommy Edmund's been struggling and Matt Carpenter's had his struggles. And then, I uh, don't know if you saw, but Cardinals come up to bat in the first inning and Colton Wong gets on base, Tommy Edmund gets on base, Paul Goldschmidt gets on base, and Matt Carpenter just
1: hits a, a grand slam right in our face. How do you like those apples? Uh, I like them a lot. I like a lot. Look, production, right? Production plays. I, I heard your guys' conversation yesterday, and I know that you got a lot of crap on the text line for it, and just a little. Yeah, it's a lot of, he's expecting too much. A lot no, of crap from Jamie. Today. A
4: lot of crap from Joey. A lot of crap from Alex. Today we expected Matt Carpenter to hit, yeah. and we increased his hit. His Expectancy and you watch Carlson's
2: going to have a great day because we had four hundred percent expectancy rate on yeah. him to get a hit. So we boosted his numbers today
4: because yeah. we expect him to <laughs> so hit. This is how
2: it works. This so is, it, is how the numbers works. You you, just, you hope that they get. I a mean,
3: hit how else you it do? It it's all predictions, no, right? Not hope. It
1: is expect.
4: So I predict that he. So that's going
1: to help him, right? Do you know? Do you know who had? Who has like unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable barrel rate, unbelievable exit velocity rate, unbelievable everything?
4: Dylan Carlson, Tyler
1: O'Neill, Ian Happ. No, oh, yeah. Hmm. He inhabit home runs. I didn't expect him to do that. No, you well, didn't predict. You didn't predict that. I did not expect that. You didn't, put, you didn't put that in your Excel spreadsheet. No, did you? No, no, no. no. We okay. only focus yeah. on players that we actually know.
2: Yeah, it's twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, Ian Happ's a made-up player. Yeah, Ian Happ, I'm like, there's no, I'm not he biting just, the hook. You, <laughs> you made his it. name <laughs> up, just like that <laughs> pitcher yesterday.
3: I was about to say nice and way about some of the names that Danny Mack was saying on the call last night. I'm like, no, that person is not real. He's definitely not pitching for the Cardinals right now. Jesus Cruz
2: is not real.
1: Ian Happ. Was it a court- quarterback for the Mississippi State Bulldogs?
4: <laughs> I was like, there's no point no
1: I'm biting this. No yeah. chance. <laughs> I Think. love, though, to, to your point, Stoltz.
3: my favorite thing is when you've got a guy that is struggling. Like, we all, know, we all know the story about Matt Carpenter a couple of years ago, right? The Cardinals go to him with all of the advanced numbers. Right his his results were not good, but the advanced numbers said, no, 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 you're going to be good. It's it's going to come your way, and then eventually we all know how that went. He was fantastic in the second half of that season. All of the underlying numbers held true, and he ended up being able to make it up. But if you do it the other way around, where a player is hitting really well, but the numbers don't support it, right. it's, no, 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 no. this guy's an idiot. Get him off the of air. It's
1: great. Well, look, both things can be true, right? You could be productive, and you can also have certain metrics that suggest you won't keep it up over the entire season. Yep, That's that's, that's what it is, and that's what we're seeing right now with Carpenter, and that's what we're seeing with uh, Dexter Fowler, and that's what we're seeing with pretty much the entire lineup. The, the, the numbers don't look great for Paul Goldschmidt either, mm-hmm. but he continues to be productive. The two guys I just mentioned, they're productive. See, they're they're the numbers for lineup. me look
4: good. The ones I look at are good. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at the wrong numbers. <laughs> See yeah. how that works? That <laughs> makes
1: sense. We got batting average in front of you.
4: Yeah, yeah, it looks yes. good to me.
1: <laughs> and the other
3: thing that's great about this is, like, he's right. The batting average does look awesome. And the worst part, at least from my perspective, is, like, it's possible also that Paul Goldschmidt is going to break out of this thing. He is going to start making better contact. and hit then the, the ball numbers... more? Is it possible? He's going to start hitting the ball harder, and then the numbers will be supported by the underlying numbers. And it's just Christian it's weird baseball no, wait thing. Wait, wait,
4: wait. What if he hits the ball harder, but it becomes allowed out? Well then that that reverts the other way. See?
3: I don't like that. Baseball's a weird game, man. The, one of the best hitters in baseball right now by the numbers is Dexter Fowler. And if you look at the advanced numbers, he's one of the worst hitters in baseball. So that's where we are. It's a shortened season, and sometimes there's just there's not enough of a sample size to where these you know, things revert back to the norm. <laughs> well,
1: luck is a thing, too. I mean, I, I know that you you got crushed because you, you had said that yesterday. He's getting lucky whatever. And what you mean by that, and I think you eventually clarified, but it was under the, it was under the criticism, so it probably didn't get out. <laughs> uh, but the, you can be—you can find— you know, Matt Carpenter hit one on Sunday where the it, he hit it into the shift, but he hit it perfectly. I mean, it's just it is what it is. Baseball, baseball can be goofy, but <laughs> Carpenter, like, Carpenter's boy. producing, Fowler's producing. Jamie, they're, you got lucky. Fin- the ball is finding, wait, finding
4: the holes? open field. And okay, Jamie, you got lucky a couple of times, didn't you? Like once, maybe twice. Actually, one and a half times. Anyways, um, wait. Hold on. <laughs> at half time. I got said lucky because that's how it works apparently. Now, <laughs> did you get hired? Did you have a retainer fee that go to Stalter here? Because you've come in and done Stalt- nothing but defend him. You know what happened? Stoltz is a betting man, he, and so he looks at these numbers. Just wait that money runs out. out.
3: What is real and what is not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. How about this? I told Ranji yesterday. I told Ranji in a break. I said, look. I go. Have you seen any of the the advanced metrics on the Phillies? I go. This lineup is about to absolutely go off at some point. Harper off the charts. Reese Hopkins, not as much as Harper, but he's his his numbers look good. Real Muto. I mean, these are these are quality hitters too. But the, the, the numbers are going to go through the roof at some point. And they get a pretty bad Boston pitching staff yesterday, and they hang thirteen on them. Right? I mean, I. That there's a lot to say about the numbers there's a there's a lot to say in your in your defense Jamie about <laughs> the batting average. why are I just we slid nit- him a five. why are we nitpicking I mean Carpenter <laughs> Carpenter hits a grand slam it it's Goldschmidt you gonna nitpick a four hit weekend that included a home run I mean it, you you wind up you wind up signing signing uh sounding kind of disingenuous when you do that as yeah. well. Followers producing. So both things can be true.
3: Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service Text line from the three one four. Guys, jinxy cats gotta stick together.
1: That's why BK and Stalter defend one another. Wow. Fair nice. point. I'll tell you what, if if you want to put your money where your mouth is on this, let's do it. What did you just say? To That's him?
2: a challenge offered. What does he want? What? What's he want you to put your so mouth you where his money is? What's Fowler?
1: It. What's Fowler's batting average? I right don't now? know. Three ten. Three ten. You set the number on well, the batting what? average. I don't even know by how to place of, a bet with this. You just by the end, you by guide the end me of the through year. this. By the end of the year, where do you, Alex? Where do you think Dexter, no. Dexter Fowler's no, batting average is? No, I'm not doing that
4: because my expected hit rate be. for Dexter Fowler, I don't expect him to do well after this week. This is
2: so. So coming up on the fast plan today, bud? More of this. Hold on. I want to put the mouth where the money is. Let's <laughs> let's look at this. Let really put the money here. We'll do that off the air. Start so what's coming up.
1: <laughs> we got Blues Blues and Canucks game five breakdown throughout the entire show. Since you don't get much hockey on this show, we're going <laughs> to pick up the listeners here and do some hockey on, a, on our show of the four hours. Have you guys watched a game yet? I mean, come on. It's
5: ridiculous. I have.
3: I usually I know you have. I tune out.
4: glued to Fowler and Goldschmidt. (laughs) Sorry.
1: I usually hit my sleeping bag once the puck (laughs) drops. Lots of Blues. We'll uh, we'll stay updated on the Cardinals as well. and
3: Have a good show. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Blues versus Canucks. Game number five tonight. Pre-game at 8.30 with Alex Ferrario. We will have the puck drop with Curbs and Joey coming up at 9.30. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Fastlane coming up next. You have been listening to the ribs and BK podcast on one Oh one ESPN.